We're committed to speaking the plain truth on this podcast, and sometimes the plain spoken truth isn't easy to hear. It certainly isn't easy for us as we talk about it, but it's necessary to accomplish our goals in this podcast. So as you listen to this today, just to be forewarned that some of the subject matter can be difficult and hard to hear. Use discretion as you listen, and certainly use discretion with any children that are around as you listen. Thanks. You are listening to the Current Reality Podcast, where we talk about staying rooted in biblical reality within the current of modern culture. We are your hosts. I'm Michael Clary, and with me is Wade Thomas. We're both on staff at Christ the King Church in Cincinnati, Ohio, which makes this podcast possible. So, Wade, getting back from vacation at Disney with your family, Mm -hmm. we'll kick it over to you to get us going. What you got for us today? Thank you for telling the whole world that I went to Disney. I am deeply ashamed of it. Somebody at church actually said, uh, well, my family judged you for going to Disney. (laughs) And I actually had the thought, I think I would judge you for not judging me for going to Disney. Well, it was nice whenever I, I, I said hello to you yesterday morning. Um, you reassured me. You're mm-hmm. still conservative. That's right. Um, still straight. Yeah, you're still. <laughs> yep. Yep. <laughs> you did not You did not drink the Kool-Aid while you were down That's there. That's right. So All it's right. a good teaching opportunity for your kids. Yeah, anyway. absolutely. Um, okay, so today our opening question is, if you had only one more conversation that you could have with your daughters uh, about being a woman, going out into the world, or you only have one daughter, but if you could have one more conversation and that's it, what things would you tell her about being a woman in the world? Oh man, that's a great question. Uh, do I have only one topic or no. just one conversation? No, one conversation, we'll say about an hour. Okay. What things would you say? One conversation, I would start at the beginning with um, love Jesus with your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Um, the mission statement of our church is the same as I have, have been praying for my family, Mm. which is to help people in this case, help my family, my daughter, know, love and obey Jesus as Lord over all of life. So I would start there about the Lordship of Christ over her life. And then I would move towards the things that are, uh, would be unique to her, her specific gifts and skills. Uh, she's very insightful, smart Mm. about people. Um, but if I were to just have one shot, I would certainly want to emphasize for her the beauty and glory of her femininity mm-hmm. and for that to be not something that is incidental or small in her life, but that she will embrace all of the vocations and glory of what it means to be a woman. Um, and that that means that uh, I, I have been praying for her for years um, that God will provide for her a godly husband Mm -hmm. and that she will be the mother of many children. And I've been praying for four generations. Um, Praise God. So I expect that if averages play out, I may live long enough to meet my great grandchildren. Yeah. And so I've been praying for my children, my wife, my children, their spouses, their children and their spouses and their children and their spouses. Praise God. So that I could have four generations of Clary's uh, that I could meet in my lifetime that are all faithful to Christ. I would want to instill that that hope in her yeah. in that conversation. That's, That's a beautiful. great question. That's beautiful. Yeah, as you're, as you're talking there, I'm thinking, man, I, I should really be considering once in a while, am I already beginning to live 
like the great grandfather I'd want my children's children to have. Yeah. And I, and I already thought of a few ways that I'm not, <laughs> that I need to repent. Uh, so for me, I've got, I've got three daughters. The oldest is 11. Uh, then I've got a seven-year-old daughter and a five-year-old daughter. So my, I, the way I would do it, and I, and I had not thought about this question, my own answer until getting up here. Uh, I, I used willpower to not consider what my answer would be so I could think in real time. I, I, I know I would want to account for the fact that my daughters are not growing up uh, in 16th century Geneva or 19th century Middle America. They're growing up in a particular time and place with a particular set of problems and a particular set of challenges and particular opportunities. Mm-hmm. But one of the features of their day and place is a contempt of what God calls good about womanhood and yeah. femininity. Our day and place holds motherhood, uh, dedicated motherhood in contempt, uh, and it holds the the virtues in First Peter three about womanhood, uh, softness and a gentle spirit, and uh, calling Abraham Lord and not fearing anything frightening because of uh, a gentle and, and feminine faith. It, it despises all of that. Yeah, it would despise the story of Ruth. So I would want, in whatever one hour I had, to. Uh, strengthen their faith in the Lord Jesus Christ and reassure them that despite the fact that all the commercials and the TV shows and the ads and the blogs that they'll see and read, uh, despite all of that despising their femininity, that it is good and that they can employ it for the beauty and glory of the kingdom and of of Jesus Christ. So, yeah, I I would want to exhort them to uh, marry Christian men unless they're called to celibacy, which I doubt any of them are because few are. Uh, that they would have as many children as God would bless them with, that they mm-hmm. would raise those children up in the fear and admonition of the Lord, and that they would love being women, hmm. real women, yeah, actual women, not defective men, yeah, not not women who just want to impersonate men, yeah, and go out and fight wars and run boardrooms and no real women like Ruth, uh, who spend their lives and their sweat and their blood and their prayers and their dreams for building up households. Uh, the way all the women of old did yeah. in our scriptures. So there you go. That, that would be my. That's beautiful. To do that, you got to play the long game. Yeah, you have to hold that infant in your arms and think uh, this child could command armies. That's right. This child could uh, educate thousands. You know, That's just right. you have to think of the potentiality that exists within a child, and not just man. I got to change another diaper. Right. I got to waking me up in the middle of the night. You have to think long term. And if you do, if you have that sort of long, eternal, even mm-hmm. perspective of your child, then I think it's it's a little bit more accessible, especially as counterculture as it is now mm-hmm. to do that. That's why wiser women like Hannah longed for children in this in first Samuel. Hannah wants a child. Um and, and the reason why you see barren women like her and Elizabeth uh in the Gospel of Luke, um, the reason why I think you see women longing for children is because they know that to be a mother and to have a child is to essentially have the world's destiny in your hands. Hmm. What's that? There's that uh, expression. Uh, is it she or he? I think it's she who rocks the cradle rules the world. Yeah. yeah. And G.K. Chesterton had a lot to say about that. He was very big on, on motherhood and I, ironically had no children himself. I think they were barren. But Is that a fact? Yeah, I did yeah. not know that. Yeah, he and his wife were not able to have children. Interesting. Yeah, well, that that explains a lot because there is a, a pining almost. Mm-hmm. Yeah, he's um, got a very sweet sort of longing towards yeah. parenting. Yeah, mm. that 
yeah, that, that's fascinating. Yeah. Hmm. All right, so let's get into our topic today, which is the LGBTQIA. Am I forgetting any letters? Oh, they keep going. Man. Okay. So eventually we'll probably have, we don't have an X in there yet. It is good. I am glad to see that we finally worked some vowels in. Yeah. Uh, so, yeah. <laughs> and then we got the plus sign at the end. So we're, we're going to be taking a look at uh, this, this phenomenon, this uh, uh, philosophy and way of thinking that is in everything we see on TV and on the internet these days. But as we do each each week or each episode, we try to give you a taste of crazy. So a look at some of the actual um, bizarre, uh, dangerous uh, words or ideas that are within the given topic we're talking about out there in the world that we all live in and work in and play in. So today I have just a few here uh, to give us an, an idea of what we're dealing with with this LGBTQIA plus uh, worldview. Here's one. So uh, as we continue to push the boundaries of what is acceptable romance, acceptable sexual intercourse, acceptable attractions, um, there there are less and less taboos. Yeah. And the few that remain titillate people and excite people. Yes. And so they want, there's always a temptation with humanity, with each individual person to push the boundaries as far as they possibly can, especially with sex, to get the the, the thrill from just putting your foot on the other side of the line. Well, yeah. We have so few lines now. The that, thrill of novelty. Exactly. But one of the uh, one of the last remaining ones, and it, and it's it's revealing itself in a in a new uh, uh, porn sort of uh, a new a new version of pornography that is becoming incredibly desired on the internet, and that is incest. Hmm. So, uh, can I pause you for a second? Yeah. Um, so we should just do this as a disclaimer. I, I listen to a bunch of podcasts, and often they'll be like, hey, uh, if you get little kids in the car and you're yes. commute right now, you might want to turn it off. Let me just say that about this entire series on sexuality. If you got little kids, you probably don't want to let them listen to this. All right, so I've, I've done our obligatory caveat. Yes, this is more Nick at night, not Nick Jr. Uh, <laughs> so be prepared. But it is important for all of us to know. I, I, as a parent of young children, I do want to be aware of this. Pornography is uh, is available to pretty much every human being on planet Earth right now yes. who's not Amish. Yeah. Um, it, every, every smartphone can access it. Every computer everywhere can access it. I remember being a public school teacher and finding out that 7th and 8th graders were using our iPads at our school to watch pornography. Wow. Um, hmm. So this is parents and Christians of all uh, stages of life need to be aware of this. So if we're adults... Um, yeah, let's let's hear some of what we're dealing with. So, uh, the Daily Beast, which is a, a pretty well-known uh, online magazine, yeah. uh, did an article on what is called now "fossest." Uh, do not Google that term, but it's basically people pretending to be mother, daughter, uh, father, daughter, mm, okay. mother, son, brother, sister, and then and then doing sexual acts on screen. Uh, and it it so is this a that would be kind of a story? Yes, in. Yes. The video. So you've okay. got the the normal wicked, evil, pornographic act occurring on screen that people watch so that they can be aroused by, but it's nested in this story of these are two related people. Okay. Um, and so this article in the Daily Beast, which is a very very left leaning uh, publication, even even it. <laughs> okay. yeah. I was thinking Daily Wire when you said no, that. No, no, I'm like, no, 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 no. Not the Daily Wire. At okay. All. Not Daily the Daily Beast. Wire at all. Um, so it even it at, at least at the time when this article was written a few years ago even it kind of 
understands that this is not something that's positive or good for society, but it doesn't come out right in judgment against it. So here's just a little bit from the article. Blonde starlet Nadia White, who's performed dozens of incest role play scenes, has noticed an increased demand for the genre and says nearly all of the hardcore scenes she does in Florida are faux-cest these days. Quote, Personally, it's not one of my own kinks, but we are here to give the fans what they want to see. My work is a way for people to indulge in kinks without having to participate themselves. So in a way, I'm doing a public service. Hmm. Pornographer J.W. Ties launched his Desperate Pleasures DVD line in April 2015 with, and this is the name of the video, Deflower Me Daddy. Oh, man. It's now two years later, and he's been so successful with incest-themed porn that he's on the verge of releasing his 200th DVD. We tried it, and our sales increased considerably, he says. When Gia Page entered the porn industry three years ago, the calls for incest-themed scenes didn't come up as often. Now, she says, it's almost every scene she gets booked for. Gia noticed her fan base becoming stranger in some of the most deplorable ways. Quote, some of my fans weren't nice anymore. They were creepy. One fan told me that he and his wife conditioned their son his whole life until he was old enough to join them in bed. That mm -hmm. really got to me. I almost felt like I was helping this kid get sexually abused. Mm -hmm. Let me read this last quote from her, from Gia. And, and I, I pray that Gia repents of this sin and is saved mm -hmm. by God's grace. God loves to save uh, people from all manner of sins. But she says here, Technology is at everyone's fingertips. I don't want some kid seeing me on film coaxing my stepbrother into, and then she uses a terrible language, uh, and, that, and that kid thinking it's okay to do that to his little sister or cousin. I shudder to think about it, but I do love porn and hope this trend dies. I just want to shoot good, clean porn again. Hmm. So this is one of the last remaining taboos that's falling. Uh, I didn't watch Game of Thrones, but apparently there was an incestuous relationship in it. Okay. Towards the end, um, and th this stuff is is becoming more mainstream in the sense that millions of people are viewing it. It may not be mainstream in that you're going to see it on NBC yet, yet, uh, but but it is it is becoming widely uh, accessed, and I'm sure by countless people seen as more and more normal yeah. and acceptable. So that's that's one taste of crazy, and uh, that and, is crazy. Yeah, and then I want to give you another one that I'm sure we'll both have thoughts on. So uh, uh, last year or two, a professor at Old Dominion University, uh, I, ca I cannot tell for sure, nothing I could find online says this, but from the pictures, I believe this is a woman, a person who was born a woman. So I'm going to refer to her as her, even though she wants them, they pronouns and now okay. has a little bit of facial, facial scraggle and seems okay. to be presenting as a man. Uh, she wrote a book as a professor at Old Dominion trying to um, build empathy for what she called minor attracted persons. Mm. So these are people who are attracted to children, who are sexually aroused by children, who want to engage and fantasize about sexual relationships with children. And she wrote this book, uh, which was essentially saying we, we should uh, not, view the, not view the attraction itself as immoral, but should um, view it as something that they can't change and help them to live with it and deal with it. Yeah. So I, uh, she caught a lot of uh, flack for the book. Old Dominion ended up releasing her after a petition of about 15,000 signatures, but she's now at John Hopkins University. Oh, boy. Uh, which is one of the premier universities in the world. 
she's at the uh, Bloomberg College of or College or Institute of Public Health. So this is a this is a top notch university. And here's just a little bit of what I believe her name was Allison. She now goes by Alan Walker. Um, but here's just a little bit of what I heard her say. I listened to a 30 minute conversation that she had. Uh, just just to kind of hear her own words in context and hopefully get a, a fair understanding of her positions on pedophiles, what she calls minor attracted persons. And here's just a few quotes that I, I wrote down word for word uh, from what she said. I've definitely heard the idea that you brought up, she's talking to the interviewer, <clears throat> that the use of the term minor attracted person suggests that it's okay to be attracted to children. But using a term that communicates who someone is attracted to doesn't indicate anything about the morality of that attraction. From my perspective, there is no morality or immorality attached to attraction to anyone because no one can control who they're attracted to at all. In other words, it's not who we're attracted to that's either okay or not okay. It's our behaviors in responding to that attraction that are okay or not okay. Hmm. Now... It is better to fantasize about touching children and not doing it than to fantasize about touching children and doing it. Yeah. That is literally true. But would she say this to a racist? Would she say it is okay, it is not immoral for you to have mm. racist thoughts. To fantasize about to lynching fantasize someone. To fantasize about lynching black people. Yeah. But to not act, acting on them is what would be immoral. I'm I'm a lynching attracted person, let's right. say. Right. I mean, like nobody talks that way about exactly. any other sin. Exactly. And this is this is all on a trajectory. So for now, one of our top universities in the United States may hold uh, an academic who, with the position of it's okay to think it but not to do it. Yeah. But you give it ten years, and we know where this is headed. Yes. Eventually, it will be okay to do it in certain ways, if the fourteen-year-old boy is, cons- is consent. Consent is the only right standard anymore. And is it is it so far fetched to believe that even that will will eventually find ways tricks of vocabulary yeah. to make consent not even be required? Yeah. I don't think it's crazy to think that's coming. Just two more quotes. Although I'm not a map, so this is throughout the interview, this is the minor Minor attracted person. So this is a trick of vocabulary, and I know we'll unmask some sophistry later, but she she uses this word map because map doesn't sound bad, right? It just conjures up an image of of an actual map that's taking somewhere. So that'd be an M? Yeah, eventually uh, we're probably going to be getting to LG. Yes, (laughs) yes. Um, Although I'm not a map myself, I'm queer, And so I, too, have been through experiences in realizing I have attractions many people wouldn't understand and that some people find to be immoral. And those experiences have really shaped who I've become. Hmm. So you can see she's linking homosexual behavior, which, look, all of you in 21st century America have now become okay with. We've got TV shows and movies and You guys are all good with us now. Hmm. Well, here over here is this similarly similarly oppressed group of people with this similarly seemingly bizarre attraction. You should probably feel about them the way you now feel about me. You can see where this is going. Uh, And then just one more. 
We know that such methods as conversion therapy are not at all effective, and yet that tends to be what people think of when they believe that MAPS should be trying to get rid of their attractions. They should go to some kind of therapeutic intervention where they can be converted, but that's not really an option. Hmm. So what is an option? Getting those MAPS who want it into some kind of affirming therapy where their provider understands that their attractions don't make them a threat and who can help them navigate strategies for non-offending if it turns out that they need those. Hmm. So if a 50-year-old man who is attracted to 5-year-old girls and wants to have sex with 5-year-old girls, if hmm. he decides he needs therapy, we should give him an affirming therapist who will then help him find strategies for non-offending and not actually touching five-year-old girls if it turns out he needs them. He may not even need them because it's it's not immoral to be attracted to five-year-old girls. Right. So there's nothing wrong with the desire. Right. We're going to tell you. Right. Nevertheless, you should not act upon it. Right. That is illogical. And it's totally arbitrary. Yes. It's not rooted in... She's she's not saying it's wrong to touch five-year-old girls because God said so. Because God made the world and grown men should not touch five-year-old girls because that's how God made the world. There's nothing There's nothing to ground her assertion that it's wrong. She's just staying. And that's why I think... I think probably she even senses that, which is why she uses... I listened to this talk twice. Uh, she uses the word offending. That, that's, that's the word she keeps using for a grown man or a grown woman touching a little boy or a little girl. Yeah. Not, not sin, not, uh, not a wicked act, not, not something wrong, but it's the word offending. So basically, the only reason it's wrong with air quotes around the is because we, in our current it's, day and place, yeah. we've made it illegal. and it's we don't, icky. Right. But she, she doesn't actually have any any transcendental way yeah. to say it is always wrong for grown men to touch little girls. Hmm. And so eventually, I think, her her philosophical presuppositions are going to lead to, well, it, it's not actually wrong. And if someday we pass a law saying it's okay because the five-year-old girl liked it, hmm. then okay. Oh, man. Uh, and, and again, so just I, I want to make clear, this is not some corner of the internet uh, this is not some... This is the Daily Beast. Uh, so the first one was the Daily Beast. This, oh, okay. one, this one is a professor okay. at Johns Hopkins University. Gotcha. gotcha. Earned a PhD at a university in New York City and now is at Johns Hopkins. Has written several papers. I actually took a screenshot of a description, an abstract of one of her academic papers um, on minor attraction, a queer criminological issue. She wrote this one with somebody named Vanessa R. Panfill. Uh, here, here's just the description of her her paper. Despite a cultural tendency to sexualize youth, individuals who are primarily attracted to minors are subject to suspicion and stigma across Mm. society, extending into criminology and criminal justice. The prevailing assumption is that minor attracted persons are mentally ill and predatory. However, there exists evidence that minor attraction is a sexual orientation. Hmm. And the parallels between the treatment of MAPS and LGBT populations are striking. This is an academic paper. This is not a a book published Hmm. by some weirdo publishing house. So Johns Hopkins University. Yes. A woman with a PhD scholar. 
Oh, yes. Wade. So, uh, I don't, whenever we, just for those listening, like, I don't know what Wade is. He brings, uh, he brings an example and I react in real time. So this isn't as scripted, but I'm just, I feel sick. I mean, it's like, there's a listening to that literally within my body turns my stomach Yeah, because we're talking about children, little children and somebody using their God-given brain and intellect to to uh, cast aside any sense of morality, and there is, I mean, like she just she stopped just short of affirming the act itself, yeah, while giving some, uh, while, while 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 treating the attraction, quote unquote, as a good thing, mm-hmm. as a legitimate orientation. And so that this, the whole born this way argument would apply here as it did and worked before with all the other lesbian, gay, all, you know, all the other LGBTQ uh, lifestyles. So there, there really is, as you say, there's no transcend transcendent moral standard. All that we have is, is an ick factor, a gag reflex Mm -hmm. that just says, ah, it's kind of gross. Hey, that's weird. I don't know how I feel about that. And there's, I mean, it's it's like the image of God within normal people are crying out, saying, that's not right. But if you don't acknowledge Scripture, mm-hmm. acknowledge God, acknowledge a judgment that is coming upon these sort of acts that is right and good and just to do, God will judge this. Um, unless there's repentance and the judgment could be absorbed by Christ. But, I mean, this is – I mean, I, I'm just – yeah, I, it's, it's repulsive. And – and frankly, I mean, it is. I mean, it's frightening because there are no brakes on this That's thing. That's exactly right. This is an out of control locomotive that cannot stop because there is there is no there is no uh, basis upon which somebody can object to it. That's exactly right. We have nothing that we agree to. We have we we cannot say, hey. Uh, God, whatever you call him, the Jewish God, the Muslim God, the Christian God, God would object to this because no, it's like we've we've cast God aside. There is no God in in public life. And so how can we object to anything other than we just think it's gross? We think it just doesn't feel right. And that's not that's not sustainable or good. And it does it does make me just uh concerned. Yeah. Uh for what what where will this lead? History bears out what you're saying, that there are no breaks when you remove the actual God who actually exists. Um, there is a reason why uh, in in Canaan, there was apparently sex with animals, um, infant sacrifice. Yeah. Um, there, there's a reason why historically pagan societies have done the worst of things. And what we're doing right now, every secular person is doing right now who wants to kind of have some semblance of uh, normalcy and and monogamous relationships of some kind and and people getting along with each other. What they're doing is if they want to maintain secularism but still have all the fruits of Christendom is they're standing in a house that Christianity built. That's right. and, And they're enjoying the climate control and the fact that people are behaving for the most part and people mm-hmm. aren't wantonly murdering each other and it's not the purge yet. They're they're standing in that house that Christianity built and they're trying to remove the foundation hmm. and just expect that the house will still stand. That's right. It won't. Yeah, it won't. It won't. 
and it's I'm I'm, <laughs> I'm yeah. speechless, man. I mean, that's just repulsive. Yeah, um, th- there is a there is probably uh, eventually a self destruction at the end of this road that I I don't I don't root for. I, I don't want my society. I don't want my nation. I don't want my culture to implode. Yeah. Um, but if it continues at this rate, history also bears out the fact that eventually societies that are so deviant that yeah. they don't even they don't even uh, hold up sexual reproduction yeah. the way that God intended it eventually just fall apart. Yeah. And I mean, we're we're living Romans one. Yeah. I mean, I will read it later whenever we get to that part of our show, but. But yeah, we're living Romans one. It's like God. It just seems like God has given us over to a depraved mind, and by us, I'm I'm just referring to the collective mm-hmm. uh, culture that we live in. Um, there's people have been given over. Yeah, it's and within 300 years of Paul writing that, the Roman Empire had collapsed. Yeah, and the Christian Church, and they didn't have smartphones. No. So we're we're fooling ourselves if we think that we can just continue on in this relatively, uh, you know, ordered Western life, uh, but thumbing our nose at the God of the Bible and trying to ground laws in in just the will of the people. Yeah. Eventually, it will collapse. Eventually, the people will want sex with animals, or sex with babies, oh, or sex gosh. with robots. Oh my goodness! And all it takes is since you since you have removed God as the moral lawgiver. All it takes is 51% of them to vote for sex with animals. Mm-hmm. and There's no God in the land, and everyone does what's right in his own exactly eyes. That's exactly right. That's mm-hmm. exactly right. God help us. Can you give us now a lay of the land? So we're going we're gonna to examine this whole LGBTQ uh, worldview and everything that it's doing to, to the West and to America and to even the Christian church. Can you give us a, uh, an aerial view yeah. of the battlefield? Yeah, so Wade started us off with this... this uh, shocking and just for what it's worth we're not we're not going for shock value we're going for exposing the unfruitful deeds of darkness um ephesians 5 so so having heard this taste of crazy um if somebody from 100 years ago stepped into our world and saw what was going on and thought how in the world did you get here that's what i want to share here and it's kind of a bumper sticker um chain link how do we get from one step to the other and i want to what i want to share is a linkage of ideas um the linkage of ideas it's there is a logical sequence to them even though they've they haven't played out precisely in a sequence um so what i'm pulling from here is a section from my book um which is um due out later on this year in 2023 it'll be out um, working title is God's Good Design. Um, we'll see if that's what the publisher ends up going with ultimately. Um, but the the book God's Good... a comic book, right? <laughs> no. No, it's, it's like a... It's a book that I think will be great for pastors and church leaders to hand out to the members of their church that can help them wrap their minds around the sexuality questions that their congregants are asking now that our grandparents didn't need to explain. Mm-hmm. It's, it was self-evident and obvious to our grandparents, but now these things need to be explained. And so I make a, a biblical case for masculinity, femininity, building households, um, you know, the, the, the way uh, like gendered virtue, um, 
virtue for men and women, how it's different in scripture. I'll make a case, all of those, uh, very solid biblical case. Um, and I think, I think it'd be a great, a, a great study for anybody who really wants to understand, like, how did God design me? What does my body mean? And how can I glorify God in my body as first Corinthians mm-hmm. tells us to do? Um, so the, the, what I want to share now, I've got seven ideas that are linked and I'll, I'll give you a, um, kind of a bumper sticker overview of this. So the first idea is Gnosticism. Um, Gnosticism was like a, a heresy in the ancient world that um, was condemned in the early church explicitly. But the the uh, Gnosticism was, was emergent in the early church. Um, the basic idea of Gnosticism is that there is a duality of your body and your spirit. Um, so the spirit part of you, that's the real you. Um, the, it's, it's the inner man, the inner woman, um, what you feel about yourself, your thoughts about yourself, that's the real person. And your body is incidental to that. Your body does not really define who you are. And so Gnostics had this idea that the, the material world was bad, mm-hmm. evil, corrupt, but the spirit world, the inner world was good. And so there were a couple of versions of it. One version of Gnosticism would teach that, well, since the material world is bad uh, and corrupt and sinful, then we should um, abuse our bodies mm-hmm. to to keep our bodies from acting out on its urges. Asceticism. Asceticism, yeah. Uh, Colossians, I believe, 2 mm-hmm. uh, talks about asceticism, harsh treatment of the body. Mm-hmm. Cautions two or three, but the other version of it is the opposite, which is indulgence, which is like, well, the body's going to do it, you know, food for the stomach, the stomach for food. Um, so I might as well just have sex and enjoy whatever I feel like, but, but it's not really an evil act because the real me on the inside right. is pure and good and, and righteous. That's Gnosticism. And it found its way into the church. And there's a, you can imagine how those ideas can be baptized and Christianized mm-hmm. and taught and people go along with it. And so this, the, it's, it's, it's a comeback. I mean, Gnosticism is, nobody calls it that, that I'm aware of. Right. But, but this idea of Gnosticism has made a comeback in our day where you have people saying things like, well, I'm, I am a woman right. trapped in a man's body. Right. So the real me is a female, even though I happen to uh, inhabit a male body. As you look at me across the table, you cannot see anything that means I have duties. Yeah. It's just... It's just an arbitrary thing that happened, and yeah. I could, I could just as easily be a woman or or some other gender that you don't even know the name of. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, that. So that's Gnosticism. So uh, the next step is uh, feminism, and feminism is a uh, is related to Gnosticism because one of the core ideas of feminism is that the feminine body should not imply certain duties or obligations. Um, in fact, uh, women should be interchangeable with men. Mm-hmm. Um, so at its heart, the feminism sees the reproduction and the burdens of childbearing of women as an impediment to a woman's progress. It's a barrier. It's a thing to, to dis- discard, overcome. Um, and so feminists want to act, uh, they want to be able to do anything a man can do um, because the female body doesn't mean anything. And so the, the beginning, from the very beginning, the goal of feminism has been the destruction of the family. Right. Um, 
the first wave feminism, they say, hey, we, they would say, well, they just wanted women's suffrage or things like that. And those were part of it. Um, but the goal of some of the earliest feminist thinkers, uh, Shulamith Firestone, um, uh, is it Simone de Beauvoir? Uh, <laughs> yeah, I mean, I think Margaret Sanger uh, despised uh, right. womanhood and, and motherhood and house building. Um, yeah. Yeah. Like, like these women, if you, if you want to um, look into this more, Carl Truman wrote a book, The Rise and Triumph of the Modern Self, I believe is the name of it. Uh, fantastic book. And he documents a lot of these ideas as they developed in the feminist world from the earliest feminists, 100 years ago. Um, they were saying some things, but they, the goal was the, um, dismantling of the family. Um, uh, with, uh, the, uh, Betty Friedan mm-hmm. called, um, the, 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 uh, family, what was it? She called it, was it a prison or, or tyranny? I think it's what it was, a tyranny of, of the family. Mm-hmm. Um, they saw like the fact that, um, women were homeward in their orientation, um, was bondage, oppression. Yeah. Um, it was slavery for, for so women. So God made the world a certain way and women a certain way. They look at the, a, a feminist will look at the way that God has made the world and has made women and despise it and hold it in contempt, yeah. which has definitely been my experience in reading and just living in the 21st century world. I have realized feminism hates femininity. Yes. And fetishizes masculinity in women. Right. Right. So you see the connection. Gnosticism, the body is uh, the material world, including the human body, doesn't matter. Uh, the inner you is what really matters. Feminism is the application of Gnostic thinking uh, and for particular, particularly towards women. And the, out- and the, uh, the result of that is misogyny. Mm-hmm. Feminism is misogynistic. It is yeah. anti-woman, right. true womanhood. So that's the first two. Uh, the next one, so like if you imagine Gnosticism and feminism are like a... Uh, some weird couple mm-hmm. and they got together and what I want to share with you now are just the various children of their union. They're about to have some gross babies. They're, they're going to have some weird babies. So the next, so the first baby they have, this is my third topic. It's androgyny. Um, so androgyny is, um, it's a, it's a compound word. Um, uh, andros and gune. Gune. Okay. Yeah, gune is the feminine uh, Greek for, for woman. Andros for, for male. Okay. Right. Yeah. So those are, the two, it's a compound word, and so it basically means man, woman. Um, so it blurs the lines. It, it is it is neither male nor female is the idea, but it is just this. Uh, you spoke earlier of like mm-hmm. uh, an androgynous carbon unit yeah, yeah, as right. like a human being, but that's that's, right. that's what's happening now. But the thing is, is like androgyny is not. It's not like this just came about. You know, in the last fifty years. Um, I mean, it's like, there's like fashion trends, androgynous fashion trends. Um, Harry Styles, Mm -hmm. if you, uh, he's a singer, uh, that horrifying. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) I had no idea until I saw him like wearing skirts and this is a thing now. Like this is, yeah, it's a thing. He's like really popular and he's, to my knowledge, I don't think he says he's gay or anything. He just, just, it's like, Hey, I want to wear a dress today. Yeah. But that's androgyny. That's, that is the deliberate shunning of conventional uh, anything, anything that is conventional, stereotypically associated with masculine or feminine. It's like you're going to throw off all of those conventions. Right. Uh, that's androgyny. But it's not a new thing. It's pagan. So I got a quote here. Uh, so I've got a book. This is Biblical Foundations for Manhood and Womanhood. It's edited by Wayne Grudem, um, but it's a it's a series of essays. And the 
the uh, essay that I'm going to read is, uh, this is from essay chapter number nine. Uh, the chapter is called Sexual Perversion, the Necessary Fruit of Neo-Pagan Spirituality in the Culture at Large. And the man who wrote this particular essay is Peter R. Jones. And so neo-pagan would be paganism like you see in the Old Testament and the New Testament. Yep. But today, so that, right. that sort of worship of vague spirits and, and, and New Age. rebelling against Christianity and rebelling against the God of the Bible, but, but today, not yep. in Paul's day. Right. So it's a renaissance of yes. those old pagan, Old Testament ideas, gods mm-hmm. that are being renewed today. Got it. So, um, so Jones, he's he's talking about um, the the rejection of male and female, and he said recently a, a coalition of medical, mental health, and religious organizations produced a booklet called "Just the Facts About Sexual Orientation in Youth" and mailed it to the heads of all fourteen thousand seven hundred public school districts. The booklet declares with disarming moral certitude that homosexuality is not abnormal. Ken Jennings, which I don't think is the Jeopardy uh, champion. I really uh, not. So some other guy named Ken Jennings. He's the executive director of the Gay, Lesbian, and Straight Education Network, was surely right, however, when he observed, quote, I think this is a history-changing moment, unquote. So changing the moral sensibilities of the next generation will certainly change history. This is back to Jones saying this. He said, whenever the moral sensibilities of the next generation, that will change history. And this mm-hmm. is getting back to mm-hmm. what you talked about earlier with the, the uh, PhD yeah. at Johns Hopkins. So this, this, uh, this article was written um, 20 years ago, uh, something like that, in the early 2000s. But it called it right. Yeah, nailed it. Totally nailed it. Um, so continuing um, what Jones here, he said, though rarely pointed out the actual fact is both now both how much the social trend erases the 4,000-year-old Judeo-Christian and Western understanding of reality mm-hmm. and gives expression to an essential notion of pagan spirituality. I'll, let me unpack that for a second. What we were talking about earlier, it's like there is no God that is acknowledged. Mm-hmm. This is a locomotive without brakes. This is out of control because there is no transcendent moral standard that we can all agree to that will restrain these indulgent, uh, sinful desires. Mm-hmm. What, uh, what Jones is saying here is that these moral sensibilities are being eliminated by gay activists. This Ken Jennings guy, the director of Gay, Lesbian, and Straight Education Network, is sending pamphlets out to schools trying to educate, quote-unquote, which is really um, deceive Mm -hmm. and lie to um, teachers and school administrators, to get them to do what he calls the undermining of 4,000-year-old Judeo-Christian Western understanding of reality to give expression to an essential notion of pagan spirituality. All right, so I'll read another little um, section here. He's he's talking. He's going to uh, make the connection here to paganism. Yeah. So this is the pagan of the neo-pagan remark from earlier. So he talks about a spirit guide of a prominent New Age writer, Barbara Marks Hubbard. She reveals that sexual identity confusion in young people is a good thing. Say that again, please. Sexual identity confusion in young people is a good thing. Yeah. Every parent needs to hear that sentence. Yes. And understand that there are people who 
make policy and who shape the world we live in who agree with that. Yes. So imagine if the principal of your local high school would, you know, say at a commencement address, hey, mom and moms and dads, grandparents, grandparents, uh, or grand, grandmas, grandpas, aunts and uncles, mm-hmm. I just want to share a thought with you. In my opinion, sexual identity confusion in your children at my school is a good thing. Mm-hmm. Now, they don't come out and say that, right? but you see the fruit of that. Um, that may mm-hmm. not be necessarily from any particular principle, but it, it, it's not hard to find instances of educators, teachers, prominent uh, policymakers yeah. that believe this exact thing. Yeah, they, they would just employ sophistry and, and switch out the word confusion with the word exploration. Yeah. And then affirmation mm-hmm. being right. being some way to, to groom them and to, to, to pull children. And of course, everybody has known since the dawn of man that children are impressionable. They mm-hmm. can be influenced. You can get them to uh, believe things. I mean, like children that still believe a fat man comes down the chimney at yeah. Christmas time to give them toys and you leave him cookies and milk on the table. Those same kids that believe that story are also saying, you know, I think I'm a man, uh, a boy trapped in a girl's body and yeah. vice versa. And parents big, like, oh, well, let's get you hormone blockers. Right. Let's let's sign you up for a surgery. I mean, it's, it is complete lunacy that this is what is happening. But these people aren't hiding their agenda. That's the point. This is a pagan agenda. They are they're they're driven by some spiritual that's right mindset, um, wh- whatever whatever particular variety it would be. But these these are pagan ideas that are ancient that were thoroughly condemned throughout the history of the church. We are benefiting from that condemnation to this day, but now rebelling we, against it. We're like, rebelling yeah. against it. Yeah, and these things are enjoying a renaissance now, and so it's. Uh, let me read you one, yeah, one, one more yeah. little section here. Um, she says, in the new age, people will be androgynous. Mm. This is the Barbara Marx Hubbard. And that's eschatological language. So it's a yes. theology word for the end of all things when in Christian theology, the new heavens and the new earth, mm-hmm. the restored cosmos, a, re- a renewed Eden mm-hmm. where men and women live in the presence of God, sinless in perfection. That's eschatological. That's right. She's espousing to, a religion. Yes, Barbara Marks Hubbard is saying in the new age and in this uh, book, new and age are capitalized. It's a proper proper noun. In the new age, people will be androgynous. Androgyny is part of the neo-pagan utopian vision and fits with the beliefs and hopes of Wiccan feminists. Mm. Um, I'm I'm not going to keep reading that. Uh, okay, <laughs> let me let me let me ask you one or or make a comment on what I think you're you're successfully doing. You've convinced me of this in the past, and I think. It's, it's self-evident. Basically, we are fooling ourselves and we're being uh, naive and um, dangerously so. If we view homosexuality and uh, e- even things like, like sex bots and pornography, <laughs> if we view these as isolated things that just happen to be occurring at the same time, yeah. and we should deal with them on a case-by-case basis, issue-by-issue basis. We're, we're being naive if we view it that way. And instead, right. these are organically connected things Yes, as we in the West rebel against the creator God and what he has created. He has created us male and female. We despise that. And so 
these are all different ways we are despising that. Feminism and homosexuality and pedophilia. We, we are despising what he has created because we despise him. We're rebelling against what he's created because we're rebelling against him. And mm -hmm. if, we, if we try to deal with these on an issue-by-issue -issue basis, not only are we going to miss the lay of the land you're giving us, but I think we're also going to lose. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. Uh, Francis Schaeffer, I just was reading this uh, yesterday, as a matter of fact, um, in the book, uh, Christian Man is it Christian Manifesto? Um, I believe it is. But the, the, the opening sentence in this book was something to the effect of the problem in the modern world is that we are accustomed to seeing things in bits and pieces yeah, yeah. rather than holes. Yeah. And what we're pointing out here is that these ideas are connected. And she got the whole. The she sees the whole. That's exactly right. Modern evangelicals don't want to see the whole. They they want to turn a blind eye and ignore and pretend that it's not happening. But there is a religious movement afoot, and this religious mm -hmm. movement doesn't need a unifying banner under which to to operate. It can be New Age. It could be paganism. It could be Wiccan. It could be whatever. But it is. It is all an, an ideology that is in rebellion against the God who created us, which is reality. Yeah. We're rebelling against reality itself. So Gnosticism connects to feminism, connects to this androgyny, which connects to the next one, which is um, contraception slash abortion. Yeah. So I'm, I'm link, putting these together because abortion is a, um, it is basically post-pregnancy mm -hmm. contraception. But it is it is the uh, removal of uh, fertility from mm -hmm. a woman. Um, so the the idea here is that it is the application of the feminist thinking that her fertility is an impediment to her progress. That's right. So if that's what the thinking is, then if you can te use technology to prevent pregnancy, then you can you can help a woman overcome that impediment. Now. The I'm not making an argument here against all forms of contraception, um, and that's a that's a topic for a different day. But the the point that I'm making here is just that this these ideas are connected, and what contraception has done is has opened up this new horizon where women who previously were they bore the burden of pregnancy. Mm -hmm. So women were naturally inclined to be restrained in their sexuality and would only give themselves to worthy men who were willing to provide for the child that mm -hmm. would inevitably result from their union. Whenever you take that concept and you, you say, okay, like, Hey, what, let's remove from women the burden of fertility. Now what you have is consequence free sex. That's right. And that is, we're seeing the fruit of that. That's playing itself out. I, I, I got to read you this quote. This is from Jay Buczewski. Okay. Um, Sounds like a good Polish name. <laughs> yeah, I'll be like, the spelling is is near impossible. But this is a, th he's a Catholic thinker. And I quote him and I, I interact with his material a lot in my book. Um, but here's, here's uh, the quote. He said that um, children change us in a way we desperately need to be changed. They wake us up. They wet their diapers. They depend on us utterly. Willy-nilly, they knock us out of our selfish habits and force us to live sacrificially for others. They are the necessary and natural continuation of the shock to our selfishness, which is initiated by matrimony itself. Mm -hmm. By seeking the unity, but deliberately refusing the gift of children, mm -hmm. 
We still get a kind of unity, but it goes bad because it turns inward. It ferments, it turns sour, and begins to stink. The decisive factor is not sterility, which is nobody's fault, but deliberate rejection of fertility. If we willfully refuse the procreative meaning of marriage, then marriage itself is stunted. We merely change from a pair of selfish me to a single selfish us. He's 100% right. And the Roman Catholics, despite the fact that their church preaches a false gospel, uh, I have to admit as a Protestant to my shame that they have, or at least their theologians, have largely seen this correctly. Yes. They have understood that sex, the sexual act, intercourse, and the romance that goes around it, marriage, the covenant, and childbearing. So sex, marriage, and childbearing are organically connected. They are built by God as a composite gift. Yes. And if I willfully reject part of that gift, I am going to do damage to the thing itself. Mm -hmm. Now, that doesn't mean that Elizabeth and Zechariah were in sin for not having children because they were barren. Right. But if I take a pill all the time to avoid pregnancy, or if I wear a condom all the time to avoid pregnancy, just because we want to travel, my wife and I want to travel, we're not sure if we want to have kids. We like, you know, just kind of being husband and wife and playing video games and having cats and, you know, yeah. going to soccer matches. If, if you do that, you are telling God that you know better than him about what to do with the gift he made in the Garden of Eden. Yeah. And it never works. Uh, and, and you also, by the way, open up the door philosophically for why can't other sexual acts be just as good? Yes. Because if sex is not organically connected to or, or supposed to lead to babies, then why can't two dudes do it? Yeah. Why can't a dude and a robot do it? Yeah. Why can't a dude by himself do it? Yeah, you're 100% right, Wade. So uh, you say it's a composite gift. They yeah. go together. And what we're seeing is the the pulling apart of that gift. So like one of Satan's classic tactics is to pull apart that which belongs together yeah. and to bring together that which needs to be separate. So all three of those things, we're trying to have the gift independent of the composite uh, reality of its right. uh, togetherness. So sex contraception has enabled sex to be removed from any consequence of children. And as a result, there isn't a marriage needed to uh, a covenant union Mm -hmm. needed to, to raise the child within. So sex has been removed from marriage and we have rampant promiscuity. The marriage has been taken away from a man and a woman, a covenant union sexually in children. And we've called anything marriage. You have two men, two women, and we'll call it a marriage because it's been redefined. You do the same thing with children to where children are now being uh, surrogacy with, you know, two, two gay men can adopt a baby that is, uh, that is being, um, conceived and and, and implanted another, why why isn't that a family? Why isn't that a family? Yes. And what, what it is, it's like we've got, God is good. God is infinitely wise. And he has given us these things for the flourishing of humanity because he is a good father who loves his people. And whenever we mess around with the gifts that he has given us, right. we, we're inviting not just God's direct judgment, but we're, we're moving against the way that reality is structured. And it is to our harm. It, right. it is it. It has brought untold harm on people. I do want to make one one other comment here. Um, I'll, I'll just as an ethical concept, um, and this is not. 
we're not going to be able to unpack it here, but just as an ethical concept, um, there's a ethicists have questioned, should every sex act mm-hmm. within a marriage be uh, open to the possibility of conception? Mm-hmm. Um, and then others like, should every marriage be open to the possibility of yeah. conception? My personal view is that it's the second is, uh, is, is correct. So I would not argue personally that every sex act needs to entail the possibility of pregnancy, which is the zero contraception argument. Right. And that's been the Catholic position. Um, my position is that there, it is not a sin to prevent uh, pregnancy using ethical means. Um, but for a marriage itself, the entire marriage say, my wife and I are not having children, period. I think that that is a, um, that is a sin. Right. Um, that, and, I, and I agree. I, I, I think it would be going beyond what is written to say that every individual married sexual act must have opened the possibility of pregnancy. Uh, but I do think you are clearly going against Scripture, clearing, clearly going against the God who authored Scripture and made the world uh, if you rule out pregnancy from your marriage. Yeah. Um, I'll just throw one, one more thing out there uh, before you move on to the next uh, toxic child in this horrible family here of Gnosticism <laughs> and feminism. Um, there is something deeply unhealthy revealed in our society when a family with four or five or six or seven children goes to Aldi or Target and the general response of every person in the store is, that's crazy. Yeah. Don't you know how to... I mean, Don't I, you know I, how that happens? Right, exactly. I mean, I, I've had just in the last several years uh, at least one uh, really vile thing my wife told me was said to her by a cashier at a, at a grocery store. I mean, I'm just abhorrent. Uh, and then and then several other instances of it's, yeah. it's pretty regular to get either looks or just little comments under the breath of as opposed to. So there's what our there's how our society views children. Now imagine our Lord Jesus and a woman comes up to him for a miracle or, or, or to speak with him or just to see him. And she's got in tow four, five, six, seven, eight children. What is his response going to be? Let the little children come to That's me. right. Read the gospels and tell me what Jesus's response would be to a woman with lots of children. Yeah. There is something deeply unhealthy revealed in our society in the way we see women who have lots of children. Yeah. We see children as a debit and the Bible sees them as a credit. Amen. So. Yeah. Well, as we, as society continues to get weird, those who are normal will continue to be weird and yeah. seem weird to the rest of society. Yeah. Because weird is normalized. And so then the normal is just going to be considered weird. Yeah. And so that's that's an unfortunate consequence that you and your wife have to experience that you you're mm-hmm. what you're experiencing is normal. Yeah. Um, you love your wife, you have sex with your wife, God gives you children, he blesses your family with more children. That's, that's normal. Yeah. That's, that's not a weird thing. And you're not weird for doing it. Although our society sees it that way. The healthy man looks strange to a room full of sick. Yeah. Yeah. That's a great way to put it. Okay. Um, Next child in this. Next child in this strange union of Gnosticism and feminism is, uh, uh, let's say I'm going to go with pornography next. Um, Pornography um, I don't think it, it, it is not possible to measure just how much of the weird that is being unleashed, the perversion sexually that's being unleashed in our society is driven by pornography. Yeah. Back in the old days, porn was in a theater. 
mm-hmm. in a seedy part of town and uh you'd go in there with your trench coat and your you know your uh fedora hat on <laughs> hope nobody sees you um and then it went to the video store where it was in a room in the back with a curtain and you kind of cast a strange glance at the men going in and out of that little room to where now it's it's on available as you said earlier um it's ubiquitous yeah it's everywhere i mean people make their own at this point yeah you have only fans yeah. where you can prostitute yourself you can monetize your own homemade pornography um but the thing is is that it feeds on novelty sin is not static yeah sin always wants to escalate it is never satisfied with where it is it always wants to grow Human beings are made to change. God has built us with the capacity to change. And sin has seized upon that capacity to change. And whenever it grabs a hold of a person, it always wants to grow and consume more and more of that person. That is why we've seen a, I mean, your granddaddy's pornography would be naked ladies. Right. And then you have pornography, which is actually watching one man and one woman copulate. And then it's gone on to, group sex and yep. I don't need to get into the details, but it, it, it feeds on um, increasing novelty. Uh, everybody's kink or twist or fetish is going to have an outlet. So um, you know how valuable the NFL is. Mm-hmm. NFL is, I guess the NFL is probably more valuable than the NBA, oh, the yeah, Major sure, League Baseball. Certainly. NFL is, yeah. um, Pornhub is more valuable than the NFL, the NBA, Major League Baseball combined. It's terrifying. Yes. Pornhub. It's it's a yeah. it's a website, but it is they they have they have found the magic formula. And if I if I can just sneak in one word for somebody who's trapped in this, what Michael just said is incredibly true that sin will always want to push you to go further. Yes. What that is is a twisted version of what your soul was designed to do with God. God is eternal yes. and is eternally satisfying. In Narnia, C.S. Lewis uses the phrase of uh, what what go go in and go up or further up further and further up in. and further in. That's yeah. that's C.S. Lewis's way of communicating a Christian truth that you will never see all that is to be seen in God. He will continually satisfy you more and more the further you push in on into eternity. Well, sin mutates that yes. and says, look at this created thing, you know, this sexual deviancy or, or gambling or alcohol or what, whatever, whatever uh, particular twist it's taking in, in your own sinful soul. And it will say, if you just keep pushing in further and further and further, you will eventually be satisfied and you never will be. And so if you are trapped in this, my plea with you is not by just willpower, you know, get over it. But instead, come be satisfied. Come drink from the well that actually gives living water. Jesus will do for you what the thrill of pornography falsely promises it can do for you. Yeah. Yeah, pornography is... uh, I I saw a study once that it is as, if not more, addictive than cocaine. Yeah. And the, the thing is, is that you... What it does is it shuts down a man's... Uh, a man's natural sex drive mm. to where to become aroused there's uh, an increasing need of some some kink or twist yeah. that is needed for, for him to be aroused and and I've heard horrible stories of men who are married who cannot make love to their wives because 
um, that she is, she's either not as kinky, right, or um, he will need to have he'll need to kind of get himself going by watching pornography before he could, because she is a real woman, a real woman, the real woman he was designed to be with, uh, and and he has tried to satiate his sinful desires yeah. with fictional women. Yeah, I mean the. For every man, every every young man needs to know this, especially newlywed men, is that the standard of beauty is your wife. That's right. There is there, the, your wife is going to have flaws. She's going to have imperfections. She's going to gain weight. She's going to get wrinkles. She's going to get older. Um, she's going to have children. She's going to have stretch marks. Her body is going to uh, be changed by the fact that she is bearing and nurturing life, mm-hmm. and that that takes a toll on a woman's body. She is your standard of beauty. That's right. And the moment you open up the door to imagining and fantasizing about some woman on a on a video that is perpetually 22 years old and incredibly beautiful that's that is not realistic and that that pulls a man away from his covenant partner mm-hmm. um and it is not only that but it's exploitative to the the exploitation and abuse that takes place within the porn industry itself is is an untold story but even the people that are participating in the videos oftentimes are victims of sex trafficking and other sure. kinds of crimes. It is a, it is a wretched, horrible industry. Um, I just want to read a text. This is Second Peter two nineteen, where he says, "For um, whatever overcomes a person, to that he is enslaved." Um, mm-hmm. Pornography is a slave maker. That's it right. is an enslaving sin that captures people and harms them. So I, I'll connect that to the next. Um, strange bastard child of Mm -hmm. the union of Gnosticism and feminism. And that is homosexuality. Um, Homosexuality um, is the reason why I link it to feminism is that at least amongst men, it was the safest way for men to have sex without the risk of getting somebody pregnant. Yeah. Because men cannot get pregnant no matter what, (laughs) <laughs> Wait, they can't. Men cannot get pregnant. Men cannot get pregnant, no matter what. They, I know you've read uh, what activists say. Siri, uh, can men get pregnant? Okay, she didn't answer. <laughs> Siri knows. Uh, she said, "Hey, wait a minute." That's a hot button issue. I don't want to wade into one. those waters. But right, that's that. But but the scriptures speak about this, where there's the the so the original homosexuality as it was. Um, as it has often been practiced, is was an act of sexual intercourse between mm-hmm. two men or two women. Um, but it has taken on this new phenomena where it has become an identity. Right. And once it be- takes on an identity, then it becomes the the fixed part of a person that is eternal, static, can never right. change. You're born this way, which is so ironic given all of the other ways that people say, I identify as this. Everything else is fluid. Except when I commit sodomy, that means something fixed and static about who I really am. Right. That, you're born that way and there's no changing it, which shows that it's a ruse. I mean, it, right. is a, it is a fiction that pulls people in and it is powerful. The messaging is powerful. You've got all the levers of power in our culture are oriented towards celebrating and affirming all things LGBTQ. That's right. Um, so it's it's in your movies, it's in TVs, it's in commercials. I remember the first time there was a gay kiss on TV. Uh, it was it was big news. Um, I remember when Ellen DeGeneres. Yeah, I remember that too. That was a big deal whenever yeah. she came. And now it's just everywhere. Um, and and it is it is a novel falsehood. You are one hundred percent right. Would the 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 men in Sodom 
would not have called themselves gay any more than they would have called themselves angel rapists. Yeah. Right? They wanted to sodomize men. And even had they known that those men were angels, they would have wanted to rape angels. It did not mean something about their uh, lifelong orientation. It was a sinful act. Even if... Even if they were born with sinful desires, it was not some fixed immutable thing that was essential to their humanity. Right. It was rather a sin that was ingrained in their desires and that they were indulging with their bodies. Yeah. And now all of a sudden, 2022, we say, I am gay. Yeah. The the Bible has no category for I am gay. Yeah. The only legitimate sexual identity is male and female. That's right. There's no identity. Right. My desires are not an essential piece of my humanity. Right. My sexual fetishes are not an essential piece of my humanity. Right. Yeah. Yeah. So it's, well, the, what, what happened, this was uh, 2015, was the Obergefell decision that canonized the homosexual union as just as legitimate and on par with heterosexual marriage. Yeah. And it's a fiction. I mean, like, we can no more redefine what marriage is than we can what male and female is. But we're trying. (laughs) That's right. And it always goes badly. Gravity wins. Gravity wins. I'm about one-third of the way through the uh, the book that Obergefell wrote, Jim Obergefell wrote, he co-wrote it, called Love Wins, which tells his story and the story of the Supreme That's an ironic title. It is. There's an evangelical title of the same. I'm sure Rob Bell and he... Traded some emails. <laughs> you mind if I borrow this title? Um, yeah. So, but but in it, it is very clear. And and th- to be sure, there are parts of his story where my heart goes out to the man. I I have no personal animus to Jim Obergefell. He's an atheist now, apparently, and I want him to repent of his sins and believe in the Lord Jesus and right. be invited to the wedding feast eternally. However, it is clear in the book he is trying to cast his relationship with uh, John Arthur, I think, is the man who died, who he claimed to have a marriage with. They met at Uncle Woody's, about two blocks from where we're sitting oh, here wow. at UC. Um, Uncle Woody's? Where is Uncle Woody's? It's uh, on um, McMillan. Yeah. Yeah. I, that's where I watched the 2003 World Series. <laughs> yeah. uh, but so th- these these two men met, and and he tells this this story in such a way that he is trying to make you see his relationship with the, his sexual relationship with this other man like you would see your the relationship your grandparents had yeah. your your grandmother and your grandfather there's sweetness and there's uh his personality is a little different than John's personality and and look at the way the yin and the yang sort of works and they play off of each other and they do things for each other and he tells a story about John uh, falling down from an asthma attack in the bathroom and he panics and doesn't know what to do but thank god John ended up okay and it he he is he is borrowing all of the capital in our minds yes. from Christian marriage all mm-hmm. of the positive connotations we have and he's saying this so, this this relationship of sodomy that I have has the same type of fruit and goodness and aroma. Yeah. Uh, it's it's a it's a it's a shell game, and I don't even know if he knows he's playing it. But for his own good and for the good of young people who will read that book or or just be infected with these ideas, I want them to know it's a shell game. Yeah, two men cannot have what God designed Adam and Eve can have to have. Yeah. They cannot do it. Physically, emotionally, spiritually, it will never work. Yeah. Well, it's interesting how you say that it's they they borrow the capital of heterosexual marriage as God designed it. Um, 
because that's that's what corruption does. It it cannot build anything. It cannot yeah. establish anything on its own. It has to take something that is already that's right part of the created order and to corrupt it and twist it and to but it there there is no there is no uh, there is no reality that's of right. gay marriage. Uh, it has to take something that is already established and say, well, I want that too. It's a sin of envy. It's like, right. I want that for myself, but I want to have it on my terms, not on God's terms. And so I'm just going to take it for myself. That's and, right. and the sexual just- revolution is a pyramid scheme, and it is underwritten by Christendom. So they're borrowing on all of the capital that Christendom has built. We all have images in our minds of Hallmark movies and streets where kids are playing and moms and dads are watering their lawns and disciplining their children and paying their taxes. Mm -hmm. All of that was built by Christendom. That doesn't mean every single person in America was regenerate. They weren't. doesn't mean every one of our founders who wrote our founding documents were born again. They weren't. But it was built within the nest of Christian truth. That's what created all of those images you have in your mind. And if you try to transfer those images over to a grown man touching a little girl or two grown men making out with each other and calling it marriage, you will find out eventually it will collapse. Yeah. Yes. Okay. So we need to um, get to the last one. This this is number seven. That nebulous plus sign. The plus sign. So we've hit Gnosticism, feminism, androgyny, contraception slash abortion, homosexuality, pornography, and now the plus sign. What does the plus sign represent that's that is the issue um i think of the plus sign like if you go out into the woods and uh say it's a kind of a foresty kind of place and it rained the night before and you find a a large rock if you lift up that rock you know you're going to find all kinds of creatures you know squirming around under that rock that would rather remain hidden uh that's what's under the plus sign because okay, the, so it's not just a premium subscription. It's not like it's not like just I'm paying an extra ten bucks a month for the the, the updated LGBTQIA. You could be LGBTQ, or right? Right. For, for an extra for, ten bucks a month, you can be LGBTQ. You can plus. upgrade. <laughs> no, it's okay. not the All right, premium that's subscription. That's, okay, that's good to know. Just... All right. Um, so the idea here is that it is. Because there, it, it is it is just expanding, uh, and and multiplying into all different kinds of gender identities. Last time I, I looked this up, I googled it a few months ago, um, like how many gender identities there are, and it was like in the sixties. Yeah. Um, the last I heard, uh, I did I heard an interview on British TV, the British Morning Show, their equivalent of Good Morning America, that uh, um, Pierce Morgan does, and he was he was debating with a guy who claimed there were I think a hundred. A hundred? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, but, but why not? Because eventually what we're going to end up with is every single human being is entitled to their own personal sexual identity because every identity must be affirmed. There is, we, we've already established earlier that there is no transcendent basis that anybody can judge somebody else and say that their sexual identity is illegitimate. So everybody's entitled to their own sexual identity. So under that plus sign, you will find incest. Yeah. You will find pedophilia. You will find zoophilia, which Mm -hmm. is bestiality. And here's the strange thing. All of these are in the Bible. These are not, these are not just fetishes that were made up in 2022. Yeah. The scriptures don't forbid things that nobody's doing. That's right. The scriptures condemn all of these acts because 
the scriptures knows these things people will do if they are not restrained yep. somehow. And so God in his law restrains his people by one, telling them not to do it, and two, assigning penalties for them when they do it. And they are pretty severe penalties in the Old Testament. That That's not incidental. That's not insignificant. That Because these things multiply. There's all kinds of things under this huge rock of the plus sign that is staying hidden because we say, oh, the LGBTQ plus community, right? which sounds like these people that are loving and they affirm one another and we should affirm them and there's no harm, there's no problems. That is, I mean, we'll, I know we'll talk about the sophistry yeah. in a bit, but that is what happens. It is. There I mean, is even the plus sign itself is a bit of sophistry because yeah. a plus is positive. Yeah, that's right. It's not the LGBTQIA, et cetera, community. Yeah. <laughs> it's a plus. And so, but like, you know, the, even, even transgenderism is not by the same name, but the concept is, is talked about in the scriptures mm -hmm. about how it's sent for a, a man or a woman to, to don the clothing of the other sex. Um, but now it's, it's, we are medically and technologically enabled to alter our bodies in such a way to more fully mimic the other sex. And so men can have their bodies altered to be, yeah. I, I don't want to be graphic, but I'm yeah. just like, they can have their penises removed and having the remaining area fashioned in such a way to somewhat resemble a vagina. Yeah. Uh, women are having their breasts removed and, and minors even. Um, and these are funded by, lo and behold, mm -hmm. or, or at least performed by Johns Hopkins University and celebrated there. Yeah. These things are being now um, Joe Biden, in, uh, president, who is, I mean, it, it, is, it is worth acknowledging that the Democrat Party is full-throated supportive of all things LGBTQ. Joe Biden has appointed very uh, numerous LGBTQ plus people yeah. into various members of his cabinet. So the Democratic Party is very much in support of this completely. Um, but what you have is that it is supported in our government. It's supported in our culture. It's supported in academia. It's supported in education. All the levers of power are pulling in this direction. It is celebrating it and we are, it is multiplying. And now these things are being in the government. At least there's, there's advocacy for paying for these surgeries with taxpayer dollars. And typically conservatives appear to me, at least conservatives who are not grounding their conservatism in revealed scripture, they're just 10 or 15 years behind liberals typically. Yeah. So the Daily Wire, I, I, I believe, has already sort of made space for homosexual uh, contributors and that kind of lifestyle and worldview. <clears throat> um, so I, I think we have to be aware of the fact that what you just said about the Democratic Party is 100% true. I, I do not believe Joe Biden would stand against or would have any way to stand against bestiality if that all of a sudden in 10 years was the new thing what what could he use to oppose it yeah it's love is love love That's is right. love if i if i love a horse who are you to judge uh but if, this, uh, that's, that sounds ludicrous as you say it. Play this podcast back in 10 years. Yes. Yeah. Save it. Bookmark it. Right. Whatever. But it's as ludicrous as it sounds. These things happen. That's right. They happen and they're not uncommon. But a conservative needs to have something better than merely distaste for Joe Biden. Exactly. In order to stand against it himself. He must stand on the word of God and say the God who actually made the world tells us how to have sex, tells us what sex is, tells us what love and romance are meant for. And because of that, 
this is what we we are conserving because of what he has written yeah. and spoken. Yeah. Yeah, it's it's not that's why our hope is not in politics. Right. Because like politics in the sense of Republican and Democrat, um, there is not a what what Republicans are doing is they're just I would I favor the Republican Party. So do I. Because I, f- I feel like there's at least a handful of people there that are willing to put up a fight. Right. But the Democrat Party, they, there is no one. Our hope is not in politics, but our hope is political. Yeah, that's right. Explain that. So my hope is not in any earthly prince or king or president. My hope is in Jesus Christ. And I won't even say however or but. And Jesus Christ has been given all authority in heaven and on earth and has told us to make disciples of all nations. Mm-hmm. There is no way for people to be made disciples and baptized in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Spirit, and for us to teach them to do what he has commanded, which is the Great Commission, without that having political implications. Yes. A Christian, a country where 75% of the people are born again will look different from Iran. That's right. It will look different from communist China. Mm-hmm. And people who live in those countries know that. And it should look different. And therefore, while my hope is not in politics, my hope is not also just nested in heaven, afraid of touching anything on the earth. Yeah. My hope has political implications. It impacts how many children I have. It impacts how I view those children. It impacts how I teach those children. It impacts how I pay my taxes. It impacts how I treat my neighbors. It impacts how I act when a police officer pulls me over. It impacts how I would be a police officer should I choose to be one. It has political implications. So my hope is not in politics, but my Christian hope is political. Yes, that's right. Very good. Well, let's talk about why this is important Yeah, for Christians. Um, I've, I've got a few, uh, a few things here. If it's not, if the importance of it is not obvious yet, let me, let me highlight a few that, uh, will make it abundantly clear. Um, first, this is the apologetics issue of our day. That's right. Uh, and I remember back when I was in college, you know, the evidence for the resurrection mm-hmm. or, uh, the problem of evil or mm-hmm. some philosophical issue were the major apologetics issues that seemed to be defeater beliefs for Christians. Um, or I'm sorry, defeater beliefs towards people becoming Christians. So in evangelism, now you can't share the gospel with anybody without being interrupted within the first three minutes and them saying, well, what do you think about gay people? That's right. What do you think about LGBTQ lifestyles? Do you think God hates trans people? And so on. But it's like, the claims of Christianity will not even be considered whenever Christian morality on sexual issues is at play in the conversation. Um, so it is a it is an apologetics issue, and that's a defeater belief. So it needs to be something that Christians, especially Christians who are evangelistically minded, need to be solid on. Because if they want to share their faith, then it's going to be a temptation to cave on the issue or to bury Christian ethics or to somehow sidestep it for the sake of evangelism. But we can't do that. Um, Second reason why it's important is an increase in LGBTQ identification Mm -hmm. amongst younger generations. Um, So I've, I've, I've seen this documented in a number of places. The one I've got here in front of me is from Gallup. This is a Gallup uh, survey that... What it, what it surveyed was the trend in LGBT identification by generation of U.S. adults. And there's three uh, data points. There's 2012, 2017, and 2021. Mm-hmm. All right. Um, and so I'm looking, at a, I'm looking at a graph here. And the graph 
has percentages of people. So we'll start in 2012. Um, the highest of all the different groups, so Generation Z, Millennials, Gen X, Boomers, and so on. You look at them in 2012. The the number that was the highest looked like looks like about six percent, just below six percent of millennials yeah. identified on this LGBTQ um, uh, lifestyle. Everybody else was a lower percentage. You move up to 2017, so it's five years later. The second survey, and it's post Bergefell. Mm-hmm. You have the the millennials have gone from looks like six percent to seven point eight percent. And that's the first time that they surveyed uh, Gen Z. So Gen Z, their first survey in 2017, 10.5% of them identified as L- LGBT. And so already form. more Gen Zs identify that way than any other generation prior to them. That's exactly right. So from 2017 to 2021, um, it got worse. Now, so... So tracking millennials, millennials went from 6% in 2012, 7.8% in 2017 to 10.5% in 2021. So millennials caught up to Gen Z mm-hmm. in, in uh, 2021. Gen Z went from 10.5, it almost doubled to 20.8%. So we're talking about one out of five people yeah. that are Gen Z. From one out of 10. It was eight of them, one out of 10 in 2017. Yeah, but Michael, that's just because in those four years between 2017 and 2021, we became much more open and tolerant as a society. (laughs) That's why it doubled. Yeah. It's not because we, you know, make it a a badge of honor and and lionize it and celebrate it. I mean, think about this. Like, I've got a teenage daughter. Like, teenage girls want attention mm-hmm. they want love they want to be celebrated they uh they want to be noticed right now if you want to be uh celebrated if you want people to talk about how wonderful and heroic you are um all you got to do you don't have to uh score perfect on the sat you don't have to win a chess tournament you don't have to do any great accomplishment you just have to say i'm gay but being gay now, that's kind of square these days. Being gay is not kink enough. Yeah. You know, you need to be bisexual. You need to be trans. You need Pansexual. To be genderqueer, something like that. It's like, it's, and the thing is like, it is the, there's, there's, it's, it's the way we talked about already. Sin is always wanting to escalate. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'm, I've seen this in my daughter's school amongst her peer group. She, um, she has encountered with a number of her friends, people that are dealing with this stuff. And it's, so I think for, for Christian parents, it is of the utmost importance that we have these conversations with our children to where they understand what's going on. My mother tells me that she did not know what a homosexual was or that even such a thing existed until she was already married as an adult. And that's when she found out and she was shocked. Um, I mean, she was a bit sheltered as a child, but still my kids, they've known about this stuff for years and I'm training them to be laser sharp. They, they see it coming whenever there's a a gay storyline that they can see developing in a TV show. They start groaning and rolling their eyes like, here we go. Here comes the propaganda because they know it and they have to see it because if they don't see that it's propaganda, then they're going to be tempted by it personally Mm -hmm. or 
they will be, their faith will be tested by it. And it could be the thing that prohibits them from having genuine saving faith in Christ because they cannot reconcile a God of love and grace with a God who would judge somebody and call LGBTQ lifestyles a sin. It's one of the reasons why God is so hard on the idea of calling that which is sinful good. Yes. Because it, it, it undermines the very potential of your salvation. It undermines the potential that you would repent because why would I repent of something that is good? Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. And so th- this this is something that I think Christian parents, listen to me, Christian parents, this is not something that we can be naive about. This, there is, we, we, there are numerous sources. We've read to you a couple of them, but there are numerous sources where people are out in the open saying, we want to make kids gender sexually confused. That is a goal. They see that as a good thing. Making kids androgynous, that is a good thing. And if that happens, that will do very great damage to the soul of your child. That's right. And so they need to hear about it. We need to talk about it. All of my kids, we talk about these things. And it, it, I hate that we have to do it because it, there is something in the, in the sweet innocence of a little child that you want to preserve. You, want to, you, you don't want to have to talk to an eight-year-old kid about somebody that might touch them inappropriately someday, but you have to do it for their sake, for their protection. It is not living in fear to do so. It is being wise, wise as serpents, innocent as doves, as Jesus tells us to be. Mm -hmm. It is wise to do so. Any parent who does not educate their child and talk about these things and do so with a firm moral conviction is being a foolish parent. We know this about racism. We We know this about stealing we know this about boys hitting girls. There are plenty of sinful uh, desires or activities where we are not ashamed to plainly tell our children this thing is wicked. You have to know it's wicked. The world might even, or some movies or TV shows or commercials might make you think it's not wicked. It is. And that's why we have to be so so vocal about it. Because with racism, you've got, you watch an NFL game and you'll see painted in the end zone, right. both sides, end racism. Right. As though... There's like a lynch mob right. roaming the stadium looking to find somebody to kill. The culture knows racism is evil. It is it is something that is acknowledged there. However, Christians, we are swimming upstream big time on this thing. And we're 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 gonna be the last holdouts. And of course the church in many respects, many Christians are compromised on the issue. Yeah. They want to affirm it. And that is that is a fast track to apostasy for Christians because they Whenever you have a child that says, mom, dad, I'm gay, if you're a Christian parent and you have a child that that says, I'm gay, that child has already been prepared by their friends, by TikTok videos, by chat rooms, whatever, wherever they find community. Tell them, hey, whenever you talk to your parent, they're going to oppose it and you need to put your foot down and insist that they affirm you or, you know, there'll be, you know, you'll disown them or whatever. So it's, it's a, this... This is something that Christian parents, when it happens, uh, they a lot of parents are unprepared. And the only thing that they can think to do because they love their child is to affirm their child because they want their kid to be happy. Yeah. And it's it will be a temptation that is understandable because we love our children. However, if you're not preparing for it now, uh, you're not doing your child or uh, yourself any favors. The third one we have here is... Um, there's an increased risk of children that are being sexually abused. Um, as you can imagine, whenever you have under the conditions we've been talking about, 
where even a, a, a pedophile could be considered a, a legitimate sexual orientation, mm-hmm. you're going to have an environment that's more vulnerable for kids, uh, more risky. Kids are going to be exploited, and you have few people that have the nerve to uh, to oppose it. Um, I mean, basically, I think it, what we're going to see is uh, a bunch of mothers that mm-hmm. will be uh, on the front lines of protecting their children. But you're not going to have a lot of public policymakers that are going to be subject to criticism from, you know, big donors and corporate entities and so forth. Um, Wait, so drag queen story hours are not a good thing? Drag queen story hours are a bad idea. Okay. All right. I'm just, I'm, <laughs> I'm learning a lot today. And this yeah. Is- <laughs> well, I mean, you have this, um, have you heard of the Balenciaga mm-hmm. yeah. um, scandal going on? It's... I mean, the, the, the whole thing, there's a, um, Balenciaga is a, I think it's a Spanish fashion. Yeah. Italian or Spanish. Uh, okay. But it's, it's, it's a fashion designer and they've had an ad campaign that features children, uh, in a kind of a playful Mm -hmm. childlike setup, uh, in the, in the photo shoot. Um, but holding a teddy bear that's in wearing like bondage gear. Mm -hmm. And in one of the ads, there was a, um, it's like you have to zoom in pretty close to see it, but you see, uh, exposed just slightly some papers laying out on a table and the papers contain, um, the, the ruling from the Supreme court that was addressing child pornography and whether or not it was free speech. You tell me that somebody is not intentionally sending a message mm-hmm. by, uh, and of course, it, it, there was all kinds of outrage about it. But the thing is, is like once it's exciting and novel when you cross the barrier the first time, mm-hmm. when you transgress, but then you do it the second time and the third That's time, right. and it becomes more ubiquitous and you just get used to seeing it. And what it does is it pushes the envelope. We get used to it and we no longer have the stomach to oppose it. And I think that there's going to be. Um, just a great vulnerability of children. I've, I've got a, there's a guy here. Um, his name is Tom Wilson. Um, I'm assuming this is his real name, but this is a, a Twitter handle. Um, and he is a, uh, pedophile. He's an, he's a known pedophile. He tweets about pedophilia. And, uh, I have a screenshot here where he said on Twitter, it isn't harmful if they enjoy it. Children can learn to enjoy sex with an older partner if they experience it with consent. Um, then somebody pushed back. He said, well, because clo- conservatives are closed-minded and afraid of change. We live in a progressive era now. It's time to ditch pedosexual phobia. Yeah, there you go. Phobia. That's right. And there's eventually there's going to be zoophobia. You're just, you're just afraid of people yeah. who, like, who, who want to express their sexuality with an animal partner. And for Christians now to think that they will have the courage to stand against this. Yes. When they are caving on homosexuality and referring to the LGBTQIA community yeah. and, and acting as though that, that is a legitimate lifestyle, yeah. you will not have the courage to stand against this. When the same TV shows and the same ads and the same enterprise around you is valorizing pedophilia the way it's valorizing homosexuality, you'll cave. Yeah, You need to understand now that... Thinking that you will fight tomorrow's battles when you are afraid to fight today's yes. is Pollyanna, naive, foolish. You won't. And, and what happened? We, we might think it's like it, there's no way that would 
this would become normalized. But who would have said the same thing about transgenderism 10 years ago? It just takes a handful of Oscar-nominated Best Picture contenders that tell a powerful story about somebody who's a victim uh, or presented in a victim way. They're just trying to live their truth uh, in a hostile world. And it will elicit sympathy to where people be like, you know what? Why is it such a bad deal that he's fallen in love with his dog? I mean, a, a new film that's getting Oscar buzz is Bones and All. I don't know if you've heard about this movie. No, what is it? It's based on a novel, but it's about two people who are cannibals. They fall in love. They go across the country. It's very artistically done. The trailer, you can the cinematography is beautiful. Um, and it's about a teenage boy, a young 20-something, I think, maybe boy, and similarly aged girl, and they go across the country, and they either murder people and eat them or eat people who are already dead. Bones and all. Oh my goodness. And and it is going to get Oscar buzz. And it's going to be in the next 5, 10, 15 years a, a thing that people, where people are going to how how can we always say that it's it's just eternally wrong for a human to eat another human? Yeah. I mean, it's like pushing the envelope. And, and that is that is an artistic thing. Yeah. Like artists they they make their mark not it, it, it's not enough. There are too many good artists that can just make beautiful things. You make your mark now by pushing the envelope. By beautifying the ugly. Yeah. That's really what it is. Or uglifying, if that's a word. Yeah. Uglifying the, the beautiful. beautiful. That's exactly right. Yeah. So if I, can, if I can take something beautiful like the Virgin Mary, the Madonna, Jesus Christ, and I can make that look horrific or ugly, great. And that's where I can maybe make a play about Jesus being homosexual yeah. or something like that. Or if I can take something ugly like a, a man murdering another human and eating him, but make it look beautiful through my artistic gifts. If I can do either of those two things, then I'm really gifted. I'm, I've really done something. I've really yeah. accomplished something and left my mark. Yeah, you're edgy. Right. Yeah. Which is not all that different from how Satan thought. Yeah. I, I will take that which is good that God has made and twist it to my own ends yeah. and believe I've created. You haven't created. You've deteriorated. You've decreated. That's right. Yeah. Well, I'll... We'll finish this section on this point. This is, uh, I'll read you a quote from David Gushy. David Gushy was once a prominent evangelical voice, um, known, respected theologian and leader. Um, but a few years ago, it made waves whenever he essentially became affirming mm-hmm. of homosexual LGBT lifestyles. And uh, he said this about LGBTQ issues when with Christianity. He said, neutrality is not an option. Neither is polite half-acceptance, mm. nor is avoiding the subject. Hide as you might, the issue will come and find you. He's right. He's right about that. And, and it's interesting. He said, it's a lot of Christians think like, well, let's just don't right. ask, don't tell. Let's right. not say anything about it. Let's not bring up the subject. But the fact of the matter is there is no middle ground. There is not polite half-acceptance. Right. Which is what we're seeing this happen with a lot of churches where they're wanting to they're wanting to play both sides mm-hmm. to try to not offend anybody. But the thing is, is that this is a wedge issue. It's the sort of thing that will divide Christians. That's right. And if a Christian says, I do not affirm this, and some other Christian is either affirming or squishy on it, it will be a division. He is voicing the correct uh, the correct interpretation that for a Christian to say, well, hey, yes, yes, it's a sin, but I'm a sinner too, and here's my sins, will not work. That will not land. That punch will not land the way that you think it will. Yes. You, w- you will be forced to either say, yes, homosexuality is a legitimate lifestyle that 
can be God honoring and and can be good and beautiful. Or no, it's not. And it doesn't matter what comes after no, it's not, or before it's no, no, it's not, or around no, it's not, or how sweet you are as you say no, it's not, or how much you smile as you say no, it's not. It doesn't matter. The no, it's not will be sacrilegious. It's blasphemy to 21st century Western That's right. society. Yeah. Well, one of the ways that we we hide our views on this is the use of sophistry. You yeah. want to take us through this? Section? Yeah. So sophistry is, uh, we, we typically try to look at, uh, at the way sophistry is being employed in the West and, and even in Christianity or uh, certain sectors of Christianity as we approach these issues. And sophistry is uh, the cunning use of vocabulary and phrases and the connotations of words so as to hide what you're really saying, uh, to, to sort of covertly get uh, the ball further down the field, to move the needle without having people actually know that you did it. And one of the first ones that comes to my mind here is the use of the word community. That's right. So when you take a word community, which has connotations of neighborliness and affection and people getting along, and I mean, immediately use the word community. And it's like for for the typical person, something along the lines of sunshine and a street where people are (laughs) watering the grass and walking their dogs and everybody's getting along. Like that's what comes to mind. Yeah. We would never use that sort of a word, which has all of that positive connotation about racism. We would never say the white supremacy community. Yeah. Right. Uh, up, hopefully, right now at least, we still would not say the word pedophile and attach the word community to it. But we have, as Christians, sort of adopted the world's uh, game here, the the sophistry that they're playing, and started to refer to an LGBTQ community. Yeah. Now, Sodom was not an LGBTQ community. That's it was right. not. It was a place <laughs> where sodomy was being committed. It was hurting men. It was it was defying God. It was rebellion against the Creator. And it brought God's wrath upon that city. At, at no point would God have said, I am about to pour out my wrath upon this LGBTQIA plus community. <laughs> that would not have been how Yahweh would have spoken. Yeah. And when we do that, we're, we're playing a sophisticated game. Yeah. Uh, and Christians need, need to not do it. I, I am imploring Christians right now, don't ever say LGBT community. That's right. Don't say it. So um, Winsome Wade Back in the day when you were yes a younger pastor yeah. and you were more uh, desiring to be winsome and uh, all things to all men. And- yeah, I mean, so in the early 2000s, certainly, uh, I, I, I had a fantasy in my mind about being a Christian who was on The Daily Show with Jon Stewart and I had just written a book and... He has what me was sit the book down. called? I don't even know. I didn't, have, I didn't even have it. I didn't have it back then. But I would sit down, and he would be like, yeah, "Man, you're 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 the one Christian I feel like I can I can hang with." Uh, and basically, I was I was rebelling against not only biblical Christianity but my own family, my own uh, upbringing, and it was childish and rebellious. Uh, but at the time, I was a I was femi- a Christian feminist. Uh, even if I hadn't used that language, that's what I was. I certainly did not think homosexuality. If I still held on to any idea that it was sinful, uh, it, I thought the biggest problem was that Christians were too afraid of it and too hard on it. Even if I maybe held some kind of remnant of a belief that it was that it was wrong. Um, and so, yeah, here, here are maybe some, some sermon titles that back then uh, Winsome Wade, uh, you know, liberal Wade, would have used. Uh, I might have preached something called Love Thy Gaber, the greatest <laughs> commandment for our day. <laughs> oh, that's good. Yeah. Uh, 
Let those walls come tumbling down. How the greatest sin of the Canaanites was really homophobia. Oh, yeah. yeah. Uh, and then and one, one other one. Can love ever be wrong? No. I might have just preached a sermon with just, just a simple title like that. Oh, man. Yeah, I, I was... Uh, <laughs> I, I I was hook line and sinker had bought into the uh, not not just the emergent movement but really the whole um, scripture is not sufficient to explain the world sin God we need human experience we need human wisdom in order mm-hmm. to really understand I had bought I had bought that absolutely swallowed yeah. it whole uh, and it wasn't until uh, probably around two thousand six two thousand seven when when a good godly church adopted me and. Uh, taught me more fully what God is like and what his word says that I, I repented of a lot of this. And I still have uh, I, I still have some of this nested. We'll talk logs and specs in a bit here, but I, I still have some of this stuff lurking in my heart. Um, and, and it's ugly and it's terrible. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I mean, there's a, there's a temptation um, to not suffer, to, yes. to not say or believe things about our faith. We want to hold on to our faith. But we want to hold on to our faith in such a way that it's not going to make trouble for us. And for me, it was always, and I think this is probably a lot of people, and it still is this for me, it was to not suffer with a certain segment of the American population. Yeah. So I wanted the elites of America. In my fantasies, I never worried about offending NASCAR fans or people who voted for Donald Trump or people who lived in a trailer park in Alabama. That was never who I was worried about offending. I was worried about offending the people uh, who, you know, had TV shows on Comedy Central and MTV, and I, I was a, I was worried about offending people who write for the New Yorker or the Atlantic or the New York Times mm-hmm. or Washington Post. That's really who I was playing to, and still in my heart of hearts to this day, a person who is a high achiever, an elite person, a white collar person, somebody who's accomplished a lot, there is still in my heart. Uh, it's it's terrible, and hopefully God. Yeah, it's, a tem- it's a temptation. Yeah, yeah, yeah. it's a temptation to. Uh, wash away some of the harder edges of the Christian faith so that it's more palatable and therefore I am more palatable to this high-end achiever. Um, And it it is something wicked. It is a wicked temptation that I need to crucify. Yeah, I mean, there's a... um, We... There is a certain cachet that is associated with suffering as a victim in... In uh, you know, because you are affirming mm-hmm. of it, it's it's amazing how people that are extraordinarily powerful, you know, the cultural elites can still pretend to be powerless in these psychologically manipulative ways. That's right. And Christians, they we see that, and Christianity, like as we we have an inclination towards those who are vulnerable, who are powerless, who are oppressed. There is a there is a a recognition that God. God has, he sees those that are vulnerable and we want to, I think we, we, we naturally are going to want to uh, care for people like that, or there's going to be some sympathy or compassion for them. And so it's a narrative that will, that, that can easily play on Christians and it will work. And that is like, if, if a person can play the victim, so we may not, there is very little suffering, real suffering that would happen from being affirming of gay lifestyles, but in the Christian world, we'll still play that way as though it there is and yeah so for me like i my journey is a little bit different than yours um is i i did not have there my temptations were not to think these liberal thoughts so much as 
not want to really disclose what I truly yeah. believed. And that cognitive dissonance did cause me to uh, really struggle because I did want to, I, I always wanted to tell the truth, but I always want to present the truth in such a way that nobody would ever get upset by it. Yeah. So I was always Captain Nuance. Um, and no matter how, whatever the issue was, I'm going to really work hard to find a way to present it most winsomely in a way that's not going to offend anybody. And I, I had this happen to me once where somebody after a church service had preached a sermon, they were giving me a compliment and it really troubled my conscience mm. because the, the man came up to me and he said, like, you said that so well uh, that even it was a hard thing to hear, but I don't see how anybody could have been offended by that. Ah, yeah. And, and I felt exposed yeah. in that moment. I was like, oh, uh, you're complimenting me, but actually you, you're seeing something ugly in me, which is fear of man. And I'm trying to nuance away mm -hmm. the truth of Scripture. You were trying to do verbal espionage because you were afraid of the battlefield. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, so it's, it, it was sophistry. It was, it was using language in a clever way to obscure meaning. And, and that's, you know, some other examples of, of the ways that we do this. Um, so gender affirming health care. Mm -hmm. um, I mean, there's love. Why wouldn't love. you want to affirm? Yeah. And, and why wouldn't you want to care for people, Michael? Yeah. Well, I mean, reproductive health care mm -hmm. for women. Right. I mean, that's, that's abortion. We call ripping apart a baby in the womb and throwing its body parts into the dumpster or selling them justice. We call it reproductive justice. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> that is sophistry. That's it, correct. It, it, yeah. The sex assigned at birth. You know, the word queer. I remember um, I used to work with a man at a restaurant and uh, he was in the process of coming out as gay. Mm. Um, and he had this New York accent. And uh, <laughs> I remember what he said to me stood out, but also the way he said it because of his accent. Um, so he was a New York guy and uh, he was coming out as gay. Mm -hmm. And so I asked him about it and I would just said, Hey, you know, I, I hear that you're coming out as gay, you know, um, you know, what's up with that? And he said, yeah, I come out as queer. Nice. And I was like, and I, and I, I was kind of taken aback and I yeah. was like, I thought that was an offensive word or whatever. He goes, no, I'm going to own it. I'm coming out as queer. I'm queer now. And um, it was, but the word queer is this word that it's like gay. Yeah. Means happy, literally. Um, queer used to mean strange. It used to mean haunting. It used to mean eerie. It used to yeah. mean something that had, yeah, something uh, something nefarious about it. And now it's a. I, I mean, you don't even realize it, and I didn't until you said it. But even the phrase "coming out," com coming out is like what you come out of darkness into light. You come yeah. out of a corner into the middle of the room. You come out of prison into free society. Well, it's taken as a religious experience. Yeah. I mean, like the LGBTQ community, as it were, does very much uh, try to ape on the 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 experience of mm. the church. This is your public profession. Yes, this is your baptism. It is a baptism. Coming out is a conversion. Um, the LGBTQ community is your church, mm -hmm. and you better believe that they have excommunication. They have church discipline. They have discipline That's for right. their wayward members who would try to repent of their of their lifestyle. I mean, right. it is a. Um, it is very much couched in religious language because they know that that will that will have play with people, mm -hmm. and that's it's a way that truth is manipulated and the reality, the hard realities, are are uh, so buried and obscured 
that we are convinced that that evil is good and good is evil. That's right. These words allow you to pretend that the parody of real marriage, where a man and a woman have sexual intercourse and produce children, that the parody of that, which is a man committing the sexual act in the anus of another man, that that is somehow the same, that that is somehow good and proper, just as your grandmother and your grandfather uh, and their marriage bed. The, yeah. The, the, the words allow you to pretend like that parody isn't a parody, that it's just, it's the same thing. Yeah. Uh, they have a community, we have a community. And the fact that there's even a they, that was maybe the first verbal game, that, that this is an identity, a group of people, mm-hmm. not human beings committing a sinful act. Yeah. Well, yeah, I think I would imagine some listeners will be shocked by the language that you used a moment ago to describe what happened. Because but that's it's plain. It's it's plain, and that's what sophistry does. Sophistry uh, causes us to have a discomfort with reality, yeah. a discomfort with plain spoken truth. But the fact is, what you said was true. Yes. Now, that doesn't mean that we should never use tact. I mean, there is a certain discretion that's appropriate, but... But whenever it comes to dealing in issues of very significant morality, where there's a great deal of deception around it, the plain spoken truth needs to be preferred and is certainly not avoided. But the reality is, is that sexual intercourse between two men is consummated in a human sewer. That's right. Whereas with a man and a woman, it creates life. That is a reality, as a biological reality that Christians should not be afraid to acknowledge. And by hiding that reality behind flowery words and vocabulary that is meant to connote and bring up images of, of good and positive things, you are not loving people or God. Yeah. There are hundreds of thousands, millions of men who are going to be damaged by trying to have sexual intercourse with other men for year after year, decade after decade. Yeah. You are not helping them or loving God by using positive sounding vocabulary that the world gives you to beautify something that ugly. Yeah. Yeah. And the, those, these, these facts are, you never hear them. Yeah. You never hear them talked about the, the health complications that happen because homosexual sex between men is traumatic on the body. Yeah. But you'll never hear about it. You cannot go against God's ways. You cannot kick against the goads. You cannot uh, live in rebellion to the world that he has made and the way he has made it without it eventually harming you. It will always harm you spiritually, yeah. physically. Um, can we can we take a look at, at, what, uh, at what the scriptures and what our Christian... Uh, fathers have said in the past, can we can we let the Bible yeah. and Christian thinking inform how we should view Let's the LGBTQIA? Um, I, I'll, I'll go ahead and just very quickly uh, just give offer two: one from uh, God's Word in the Book of Titus, and then one from uh, one of the Church Fathers. Just a, a a bit of biography from Augustine of Hippo that may help us think through some of these things. But first, Scripture uh, in Titus two. Paul writes, Older men are to be sober-minded, dignified, self-controlled, sound in faith, in love, and in steadfastness. Older men. So he is prescribing something to an actual category of human being 
called men. Then he says in verse 3, Older women likewise are to be reverent in behavior, not slanderers or slaves to much wine. They are to teach what is good and so train the young women to love their husbands and children, to be self-controlled, pure, working at home, kind and submissive to their own husbands, that the word of God may not be reviled. So older men are... To, to do and be certain sorts of things because they are men, and older women are to do and be certain sorts of things because they are women. And Paul does not, um, does not see any sort of problem with this. The fact that the, the, by virtue of having a penis and a Y chromosome and being made this way, I have certain kinds of duties. And the fact that my wife has the body that she has and has the the femininity that she has means she has certain kinds of duties to her children and to her home and to me as her husband. Paul has no problem with that being true. And so as Christians, we shouldn't. We shouldn't have any problem with the fact that I am to do and be certain things because I'm a man. And that is not fluid. It is an actual feature of my eternal existence that I am male. And that's good and beautiful. And when I rebel against it, I'm hurting everybody around me and I'm dishonoring the God who Mm -hmm. made me. He made me this way. Yeah. Um, a trillion years from now in heaven, you will still be a male. That's exactly right. That's exactly right. It is, it, is not, it is not ancillary. It's not just a temporary bug that eventually I'll have fixed. It is an actual part. And just similar to how our Lord Jesus is still in a risen male body and always will be. Amen. So I just wanted to bring that bit of scripture to bear on on the goodness and permanence of maleness and femaleness um, and what they mean for the home and what they mean for the church and what they mean for us individually. Secondly, let me just offer this from church history. One of the heroes in the Thomas household uh, is Augustine of Hippo. He was a bishop in North Africa, um, was saved under the ministry of a a very famous uh, bishop named Ambrose and has just a a wonderful biography or autobiography in Confessions. If anybody wants to read it, it's public domain. It's free. It's one of the greatest books I've ever read. But perhaps the most untold part of his story is his mother, Monica. There's a church named after her walking distance from where we're sitting. And she she has a church named after her because she was a mother. Yeah. She didn't win battles. She was not a governor of a territory in the Roman Empire. She was a mother who prayed for her son's salvation tirelessly. And in Confessions, Augustine tells the story, and it's a beautifully feminine story. She loved, it sounds to me like in Confessions, she loved her husband into the Christian faith before he died, and she loved her son into the Christian faith. And and he tells the story of a vision she received from Christ that I, I don't doubt where he promises her that her prayers will lead to Augustine's salvation, mm. which it did someday. She prayed those as feminine prayers. They were feminine prayers, just like John Wesley's mother's prayers were feminine prayers, just like Charles Spurgeon's mother's prayers were feminine prayers. We have several giants of the Christian faith of church history who were saved through feminine prayers. Amen. Their mothers were more interested in the salvations of their eternal sons and daughters' souls than they were in being middle managers at Procter & Gamble. Hmm. That wow. means something. Yeah. And I want those women to be the heroes for us in 21st century America that they are intended to be. Yeah. They are in heaven right now with their sons because of their femininity being used by God's grace. Praise God for that. All right. What do you, what do you have, brother? Um, 
two scriptures. I'll read uh, one from Ephesians 4 and 5. Ephesians 4 and 5 deals with deception that's in the world. And uh, there's a few, a few turns of phrase that really stand out. Um, so Ephesians 4, I'm looking at um, around verse 14, Paul is talking about how Christian maturity produces believers who are uh, not tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, mm-hmm. by human cunning, by craftiness and deceitful schemes. Amen. Rather, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head, into Christ. Um, the, the idea there of speaking truth as the antidote to being tossed to and fro by every wind of doctrine and human cunning. And what we've been talking about so much in this conversation is human cunning. That's right. It is, it is deceitful schemes that are done, carried out by humans, but are demonic in origin. Um, and then he goes on to say, I testify in the Lord, you must no longer walk as the Gentiles do in the futility of their minds. Wait, we have seen a lot of futility yeah. in the thinking of, uh, that we've explored here today. They are darkened in their understanding, alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due to their hardness of heart. They've become callous, have given themselves up to sensuality, mm-hmm. greedy to practice every kind of impurity. So he's speaking about the Gentiles, he's speaking about the world, and he's not doing this as somebody who's heartless or lacks compassion or desire for people to be saved. He's talking about the reality that they're living in, and then he exhorts the church, but that is not the way you learned Christ, Amen. assuming that you've heard about him and were taught in him as the truth is in Jesus, to put off your old self, which belongs to your former manner of life and is corrupt through deceitful desires, and to be renewed in the spirit of your minds. Um that's so man's wisdom leads to futility. God's wisdom leads to fertility. That's beautiful. Yeah. You just come up with that? Yeah. That's good. You ought to tweet that. All right. That's good. <laughs> um, yeah, there's there's one other um, one other scripture here. Uh, oh, it's it's in chapter five when he, he talks about um, do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. That's verse seventeen. A few verses prior to that, verse 11, take no part in the unfruitful works of darkness, but instead expose them. Yeah. That's a, so like this conversation, I mean, it's a difficult conversation. I mean, we've been um, going for a couple hours here almost talking about very difficult things that are in the world that we don't get any pleasure talking about wickedness that's in the world. But there is a command here to not take part in it, which we're trying to help people do right. by exposing the wickedness and evil that is at work here. Um, because you will take part in it if it's not exposed. Exactly. You will fall into that hole if there's not a spotlight on it. Yeah. Yes, that's right. One other scripture, Romans 1. Um, Paul talks about the judgment of God that is revealed from heaven against the unrighteousness of men. And then he says, in their unrighteousness, they suppress the truth. Then verse 19, chapter one of Romans, for what can be known about God is plain to them because God has shown it to them. God is not hidden. Yeah. He's not He's not hiding. It's like there there is a sense of the divine written on every soul within the image of God. Praise There's God the law it. written on our hearts in, in a way that, that is even Jews and Gentiles, like all unbelievers even have some sense of God, some sense of right and wrong, but they suppress it mm-hmm. in unrighteousness because we love our sin. Um, and then he says, although they knew God, they did not honor him as God or give thanks to him, 
But they became futile in their thinking. There's the mm-hmm. language again. And their foolish hearts were darkened. Claiming to be wise, they became fools. Man, this could have been written last week. Absolutely. Claiming to be wise, they became fools and exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images resembling mortal man and birds and animals and creeping things. Mm-hmm. Therefore, God gave them up in the lusts of their hearts to impurity, to the dishonoring of their bodies among themselves, because they exchanged the truth about God for a lie and worshiped and served the creature rather than the creator, who is blessed forever. Amen. Written by a man who loved people unto death. Stoned and left for dead outside a city, gets up, walks back in it, and preaches the gospel again. So this is not a man who holds human beings in contempt for their sins. He loves people and wants to show them the wickedness of what they're doing so that they might be saved. Yeah. Amen. Well, one more... uh, one more section here. For this reason, God gave them up to dishonorable passions. For the women exchanged natural relations for those that are contrary to nature. Mm. And the men likewise gave up natural relations with women and were consumed with passion for one another. Men committing shameless acts with men and receiving in themselves the due penalty for their error. Uh, it goes on. Romans Romans chapter 1 is hardcore. Yeah. Um, but the thing is, like you mentioned that Paul is speaking to people for whom he is giving his life in mm-hmm. ministry that he wants to believe the gospel. He's speaking truth to them by telling them who God is. And part of his argument that he develops in the book of Romans is that things that are contrary to nature are things that are self-evident mm-hmm. in the fact that they're wrong. You don't need a Bible verse to tell you... Um, don't drive a nail through your temple. That's right. Um, or, you know, it's like we, we know not to stick our hands in a fire. It's like we don't need a Bible verse to tell us not to do that because it's something self-evident in nature that says that's not good or mm-hmm. right, that's harmful. Paul says that these lifestyles are self-evident in the corruption, self-evident that they're wrong. And the reason why people do it anyway is because we suppress the truth and we love our sin and we do it. And this is not to excuse heterosexual sexual immorality. It's it's not just picking on uh, a particular variety. Like there is a sin and a wickedness that that is uh, common mm. in the world, and you know we're we all we're all complicit in one way or another, and we're all uh, accountable for our repentance and walking in obedience. No, it, there there are millions of behaviors that are against God's law, millions of varieties of behaviors. But there, are, there aren't movies and television shows being produced by Disney Plus and Hulu that are saying uh, wife beating is good. Yeah. Right? There, there is a particular set of behaviors that you've shown us are organically connected to our rebelling against God and his created order. There are a particular set of these behaviors and rebellions that our world right now is telling us are good and proper and beautiful and normal and to be revered and to be accepted. And it has reached the point where Christians, many Christians, are afraid of saying that a man in a bikini or in flamboyant ostrich feathers or some other nonsense <laughs> at, a, at, a, at a library reading a book to a kid yeah. Christians are timid about saying that is wicked and awful and horrible. Yeah. We're afraid of being judgmental. That's right. The last thing we want to be is judgmental. And so to, 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 to speak in a prophetic, clear, direct way 
about sin in the world without equivocating that is, uh, that is considered intolerable for Christians, yeah. for many Christians, because we just we don't want to be considered judgmental, fundamentalist. We're afraid of the names that will be called, and so we are bullied into silence and, and we say nothing. The Apostle Paul, despite his fear and trembling that he came to the church in Corinth with, he spoke not with human words of wisdom, but with the Spirit of God and in power and faith. And yeah. that's how that's how we as Christians are called to speak. Yes, with great love. Yes, with great compassion. But it is not loving. It is not compassionate. It is not merciful to disguise the truth that people are destroying themselves and those around them and dishonoring God. Yeah. That is not loving. It, it is, is not, not loving. always loving to make people feel good about the poison they're drinking. Yeah, that's, that's exactly right. That's very good. Well, can we take a look at some logs and specs? What 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 sins with it? So this is a, a segment of the of the episodes where we take a look at because the, the sin is not always out there or merely out there in yeah. the world. All of these things we we will talk about abortion. We will talk about uh, critical race theory. We will talk about now the LGBTQIA plus stuff. All of this stuff has inroads in our own hearts and in our own churches. Mm-hmm. So where are you seeing this uh, this toxic family tree that we've outlined in your own heart and in our church. Yeah, in my own heart, I would say I have not been willing to speak clearly and directly and boldly where I've needed to. The sophistry part, um, there, it, it convicts me uh, because I do see uh, times in my ministry where I was so worried that somebody might be offended yeah. that I did not want to speak clearly on an issue or I wanted to bury the lead, um, so I've, I've I have uh, nurtured this fear in my own heart, um, and doing this podcast, having these conversations, um, that is it, is it is an act of walking in repentance, trusting God that um, that our that our clarity that we're trying to bring on it now will. Uh, that God will use it and amplify it for his glory. Because in the past, I haven't always done that. Mm-hmm. And I've been weak and, and afraid to speak my mind about it. That's one example. Yeah. In my own heart, I do I do think God has forgiven me of much effeminacy. Um, so effeminacy is a sin by which men uh, act like women, where they embody uh, what would be virtuous for a woman. So it is not a woman's job is not to step up to the front and, and fight the war, fight the battle. Mm-hmm. That's that's a man's calling by virtue of the strength that God has given him as a man. Uh, and, and I've noticed passive-aggressive tendencies, avoidance of conflict, things like that in my life that are just sinful cowardice. Yeah. Uh, and they're adopting a womanly posture. Yeah. Um, and and I've had to repent of them, and I'll probably have to continue to repent of them until the day I'm with, with my Lord. Yeah. Um, yeah, I think what Christians now are having to exercise a muscle that we have not worked a lot uh, on issues where there's newfound pressure. Yeah. And I think it's, it, it is a matter of we spiritually speaking in terms of our courage and our boldness, we need to hit the gym mm-hmm. and we need to learn and get comfortable. There are certain words that in my ministry, I have been consciously aware of how uncomfortable they are. Sodomy. One, huh? Sodomy. Sodomy is one for sure. Um, Another much more benign is just the word repentance. Mm. I remember feeling really uncomfortable saying that word and as an act of faith. I mean, it's it's strange even to describe this now. 
But as an act of faith, I committed to the Lord. It's like, I need to say this word and get comfortable with this word. And for whatever reason, there is some weird association that it feels weird. It feels Mm. judgy to say it. Um, The word hell, Mm. uh, the word judgment Mm. is is a word that... Wrath. Wrath, the wrath of God. Like These are concepts that I have personally been uncomfortable with. And I've recognized God has convicted me by the Spirit that that I cannot... I don't have the luxury of discomfort with un, with these kind of uncomfortable words yeah. if I'm to be a faithful minister of the gospel. And and so it's that's a log in my eye. Yeah. That that's something where I've needed to to see uh, I've needed to repent and and grow in my willingness just to say things that are uncomfortable. I I think a log in our church's eye and probably in, in much of evangelical Christianity's eye, not in Catholic Christianity maybe. But has been, uh, we talked about sex as not merely being, it, it's a composite gift. Uh, marriage, the union between a man and wife is a composite gift. I do think we have normalized in Christianity uh, the idea that a man and woman just having the sexual pleasure themselves and the intimacy, which are good things, that that is enough right there. You have the full mm-hmm. thing right there. And kids are sort of, they're a cherry on top of the Sunday. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and I, in my own heart, I had to put that to death. So when we, when I met my wife in 2007, I was not there yet, but I was increasingly getting there. And by the time we married in 2009, um, I, we had both agreed uh, in our premarital counseling, and this was an act of faith for me, kids are called a blessing and fruit and arrows everywhere in Scripture. Yeah. And nowhere are they viewed as just a drain on your finances or something. Mm-hmm. So I'm going to act on faith. <laughs> I didn't like little kids at the time, yeah. and I didn't like noise, and I liked a clean house. <laughs> uh, but we acted on faith, and but still to this day in my heart, that sort of antipathy towards child-rearing is mm-hmm. present, and I think it's present in a lot of Christianity. I think we've tried to divorce sex from child-bearing, and, yeah. and that's something. We cannot point our finger at the world and say, stop treating sex like that. If we're going to keep treating sex as merely about our own personal yeah. pleasure, yeah, marriage is we even in the evangelical world we treat marriage as merely a means to personal and emotional fulfillment. That's right. Um, so have a fulfilling marriage and so forth. Those are it's it's been sort of treated with therapeutic. Yep. Uh, we both have our own careers where we get tired doing good work that we enjoy all day. Then we come home at the end of the day and you recharge me while we watch Netflix. And then we go to our beds and yeah. wake up tomorrow and do it all over again. As yeah. opposed to what Adam and Eve had through God's design, which was he has a vocation. Her help, her, her calling is to help him in that vocation and to be the mother of all the living as they are fruitful and fill the earth with worshipers of God. Yeah. So I think like the church and um, the church, evangelical church in America, are complicit just by our weak and anemic doctrine of marriage, household life. Um, week on the doctrine of sexuality, yeah, um, and a a lack of courage on the issue, and unfortunately, there are a handful of prominent evangelical leaders who have gotten on the affirmation wagon, and they're totally LGBTQ affirming now. Yeah, it. We're not gonna just to put a bow on on the thought of it being that composite gift. We are not gonna have much moral authority to tell the world, hey, that's not what sex is, while we're over here popping pills to not make sex do what it does. 
Hmm. Blunt words, bro. (laughs) (laughs) So logs and specs. All right, can you, you're, you're my lead pastor for good reason. Can you give us reasons for hope? Can you help us see why maybe this is not as dire or as a, Help us feel good about waking up in the morning yeah. <laughs> in light of all of this. Yeah, yeah. So that's totally aware and acknowledge. This is th- th- these are difficult things to talk about. Um, it's uncomfortable, and I mean, I'll, I'll I'll be straight with you, Wade. Like I've, there are times when I feel um, like, man, we are in serious deep trouble. Yeah, and there's there's fear, and I I struggle to to rehearse in my mind reasons for hope, um, believing God, trusting his promises, knowing that he is working on a good and glorious purpose in the world. But I also don't want to bury my head in the sand. I want to have eyes wide open and look out and see this is what's happening and to be able to deal with reality as it is and not run from it or hide from it. Um, and it's, it's strengthened my faith. It strengthened my faith. It has given me a more of an eternal perspective. Mm. Um, but I'm sure that for people listening to this, especially since, I mean, the podcast is brand new. Uh, and we're going to hopefully do many, many, many of these episodes. Mm. And, um, you know, maybe they won't all have the same mood or tone. But we, but but what we're doing on this podcast is looking square at reality yeah. and dealing with it. So I've got three reasons that we can be hopeful. Um Truth, gospel, church. Those are my three reasons. The truth one, um, you said it earlier, gravity wins. Mm-hmm. Uh, which is to say, reality has a way of asserting itself. Um, God created a world, and the world is real. And we exercise dominion over it, but we don't remake it completely. That's right. We, can, we, have, to, we have to exercise dominion going with the grain of God's design and not against it. So... We have to, I have to believe, and I do believe, and scripture affirms this, that the real world that exists will eventually, uh, we're, 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 we're pushing boundaries in ways that are not sustainable. And eventually reality will have to assert itself. Gravity will mm-hmm. win. And I'm encouraged by, at the same time, there's a lot of people that seem to be losing their minds. There are a lot of people that also seem to be awakening to the to the severity of the issue, yeah. and they don't want to play the game. They want to they want to live in the real world, um, and so they're beginning to see the problem. So there's a uh, I can say this in honor of your vacation last week. You're at Disney. <laughs> I'll, I'll just remind everybody that yeah. uh, you gave money to. The Disney World last week. Yeah, I am. <laughs> I'm Daniel. I went to Babylon and I paid for the ticket. So. <laughs> right. But they they released this movie, Strange World. It's like an openly mm. gay storyline in this movie. It's a flop. The movie's praise a flop. God. Yeah, praise God that it's a flop because it's. I hope that that will be a um, that that will that will be notable. And acknowledged from the executives and movie producers that hey, this doesn't sell. At the very least, people people don't want to be to entertain their children in that way unless mm-hmm. they're activists. Mm-hmm. But um, I'm encouraged by that. That first point, just that truth is truth is truth, and that um, reality will assert itself. Second one is the gospel itself. Um, the gospel is hope for sinners. Amen. Amen. And 
Wade, you and I are sinners. Absolutely. Um, we, we have disobeyed God a number of ways. We've failed in a number of ways. And so if, if you are listening to this, um, we've said some hard things. And I, I hope that you, if you're tempted in any of the areas that we've been discussing, that the message that you come away with is of two brothers that are trying to love people with truth yep. rather than affirming them to hell that's right. and affirming them to death and harming them because that's not loving to affirm people on their sins. So if you're tempted in any of these areas, remember that sexuality or any of these sexual issues, that does not get to define who you are. God's created you in his image. He has created you... Uh, with with the imprint of the divine, there mm-hmm. is something, you're an eternal soul that will go on forever. And there is hope in Jesus Christ that no matter what sin is in your past, no matter what temptation, um, no matter what what is going on that you would need to repent of, Christ is bigger than your sin. Amen. He has overcome the grave. He will forgive for anybody. Paul was a murderer. Paul was uh, like a terrorist. Yeah. Um, and he persecuted the church. He hated Christians. He killed them, put them in prison. God was merciful to him. Mm-hmm. God is merciful to sinners when they humble themselves, when they cry out to God and they repent. There, there are many stories of people that have done this, um, and the, the stories are not as well known as they ought to be. There's there's a guy, Beckett Cook. You mm-hmm. familiar with Beckett mm-hmm. Cook? Yeah. He's got a podcast. You ought to check it out. Um, from the few episodes I've listened to, he seems like a, a wonderful, godly man, but God saved him out of a gay lifestyle. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and it seems like he's, he is, he's got a very bold testimony Mm -hmm. of his conversion. And there are lots of stories like this. It's, it's not the, the propaganda will tell you that your sexuality defines you Mm -hmm. and that you're permanently locked into whatever, uh, identity that you've taken to yourself. That is in Christ. You have a new identity. Amen. If anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old is gone. The new has come. Second Corinthians 5, 17. That is what Jesus does. Um, finally, my third point of hope is in the church. The Historically, the church has been forced to define its theology against heresy. Mm-hmm. So all the great well-known heresies um, have triggered the church and church to redefine and to clarify their positions. Um, so the Nicene Creed, the Chalcedonian Creed, um, the... All the, all the great ecumenical creeds, they were forged in the flames of uh, heresy where a great challenge to the church that threatened its orthodoxy forced the church leaders to articulate their views. I think with sexuality, this is something that is of great need. And we've seen um, one example, um, well, most recent example is a Nashville statement. Mm-hmm. Um, and the Nashville statement is a, is a good attempt of... Christian leaders to articulate a doctrine of sexuality. Uh, before that was a Danvers statement. That was about uh, 40 years ago in the 80s. But these are these are good things, and I think the church can be incubators mm-hmm. of normalcy, of sanity, where in the church we are we are still producing children who are um, who are, who have not been. Uh, ideologically compromised yeah. and indoctrinated. Um, so I'm, I'm, I'm encouraged by that. Um, and of course, you know, I mentioned uh, the book that I'm writing. Um, hopefully it'll be, it'll be helpful to people. 
uh, because I want to articulate a doctrine of sexuality that can be used to teach people some of the basics of of what it means to be male and female, man and woman, and how good and glorious it is. Um, so those are things that that give me hope. Mm. What about you? Praise God. And that's a comic book, right? We established that graphic novel. <laughs> it is not a comic okay, book. All right, all right. <laughs> maybe maybe someone can make that version. Um, so I'll, I'll be I'll be uh, highly practical and blunt for at least this first one. We're having lots of babies in Christianity. At least lots of us are, mm-hmm. and lots of secularists aren't. If Christians will take God up at His word, live like Christians. Uh, those who are not called to celibacy, marry. Uh, treat children as a gift, raise them up in the fear and admonition of the Lord, and trust him to save the generations that come after them. If they will view the fruit of the womb as fruit of the womb, have lots of babies, love them well, read them the Bible, sing songs with them, teach them to memorize Bible verses, teach them Jesus is king and it's good and they should be happy about it from two, three, four, five years old, then the sheer numbers would be in the favor of the kingdom of God. Hmm. Um, and, And that is good. And that, that makes me happy. And yeah. I think there's a, there is a decent chance that 50 years from now, some of what I just said has played out. Yeah. So that's, that's a good thing. Um, I am also hopeful in the sense that uh, you can only fight against God's world and reality for so long without it just come tumbling down on your heads. Uh, in, in the Bible, this happened with both the kingdoms of Israel and Judah. Yes, they were special people who violated God's covenant, but they were also people who were rebelling against the created order and burning their own children and having cult homosexual prostitution and all sorts of other things that eat your society from the inside out. Hmm. Um, There is no society which will lionize homosexual behavior and pedophilia uh, and feminism, women, women pretending to be men. There is no culture or society that will lionize those things and will last hundreds of years. It won't work. And so either the society itself will collapse and then God, uh, through his own wisdom and his own providence, will be able to allow the church to be a part of a new rebuilt society, whatever role he allows her to play. Or the church will be one of the things that keeps our society from collapsing hmm. uh, and, and the beginnings of a, of a healthy and holy Christendom can be built. But either way, I don't see America continuing on the LGBTQIA plus train track and just humming along for the next thousand years. No. It's not going to happen. No. So in that sense, I'm hopeful. Uh, and, and the biggest reason I'm hopeful, it, it, I, I don't mean it to be trite, but Jesus Christ is king. He Amen. is reigning right now. He will put all enemies underneath his feet. And he is a good and wise and holy king. He's governing the words that are coming out of my mouth right now. He has ordained every one of us to be listening to this as we listen to it. Um he is always in control of everything that occurs. And so the world is not careening along in a way that's surprising to him. And he's just biting his nails, hoping maybe somehow it can all be salvaged. <laughs> it's not how it works. That's not the story we're in. Yeah. And so I, I trust him uh, and at the same time want to work to obey him in the, in the society day and place he's given us. Uh, let, let me just close us out with, with an invitation to you. As you've listened to this, if you are a Christian... Uh, the last thing in the world I want is for this to feel 
merely like a burden. It may weigh you down and that may be appropriate, but I don't want it to be merely a burden. Michael and I both want you to be called into faith in Jesus and to go out into a world filled with people who are being ravaged by this garbage, whose lives are being destroyed by it. And the reality is you have the truth. You as a Christian have the way of life and light. You can teach them to know themselves and the God who made them better than anything they're watching on Netflix, better than anything that they'll see on Hulu or Disney+. Plus. You have a relationship with and the words of the God who actually made them. So go out to your neighbors who are lost and who who may be uh, already drowning in this stuff and approach them with the truth of God and the tenacity and the truth of the God who actually made them.